Black Lives Matter. We here at Manga Maverick stand in support of Black Americans and against the systemic racism and violence perpetuated by law enforcement across the country and by our government. We believe every person should be treated humanely, with respect, dignity, and equality. We believe every human being should be able to live their lives without fear of being hated, discriminated against, or being a victim of violence or losing their life just because of the color of their skin or who they love. We believe black Americans especially have been mistreated and abused by the very government that should protect them far too long. No one should have to live in fear of the people who supposedly are meant to protect us, and yet the very organization of the police, of law enforcement in this country, has been consistently and historically corrupted with an obsession with holding power over the powerless. We've seen time and time again law enforcers endanger black communities and take away innocent lives in careless acts of brutality. These past few weeks have documented the eager willingness of the police to use violence to suppress and punish people just for protesting their violent actions. There's literally a tread of 350 plus incidents that somebody has made of police violence at peaceful protests. It's disgraceful. It's unjust, it's inhumane, and enough is enough. We demand justice for George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Eric Garner, Tamir Rice, and the countless other lives taken away by the violent and inhumane disregard of police officers in the unjust system that has allowed their killers to go free and unpunished. We believe in a complete overhaul of the way law enforcement works in this country, including the defunding and restructuring of police departments nationwide. Moreover, we demand the civil rights, the human rights of all people be respected. We demand that we live in a world where no one has to be afraid of being hurt because of their skin color, gender, or sexuality. We demand a better world for black lives. There's many ways to help this cause, be it engaging in the protest yourselves or by donating to those fighting on the front lines. We've included links in the description of this podcast for you to learn more about petitions to sign and places to donate. We've donated all of our Patreon earnings from this year and hundreds of our own personal dollars to bail funds and charities supporting progressive movements for change across the country. And if you can give, we strongly encourage you to do so. Otherwise, you can even watch videos donating older ad money to charity, too. Again, there are many ways to help, and every bit counts. To quote a great moment from the Boondocks, What can you do when you can't do nothing, but there's nothing you can do? You do what you can. Manga Mavericks believes in promoting and supporting the work of diverse voices in our community. We've had the pleasure of having many great people on the show, and we've promoted many more through our community shoutout segments. This time, I'd like to do a special community shoutout to some black creators and creatives in this community whose work I love and want to amplify. 
I encourage you to follow them and support them yourself. First, I want to shout out our good friend Sakaki at Kiribon on Twitter, who runs the WSS Talkback Twitter, the weekly show Gakkan Twitter. Uh, you know Sakaki. He is the premier resource for all things Shonen Sunday in Chikakagon. He does amazing work spreading awareness of Sunday's series through weekly Twitter threads, running down new issues. With so much focus on Shueisha and Jump, it's such a great thing to have Sakaki in our community to promote Chikakagon and Sunday whose series, whose manga are often overshadowed. I also want to shout out the Black Manga Critic at The Manga Scholar on Twitter, who runs an incredible YouTube channel where he makes incredibly passionate and personal videos to spread awareness of under-discussed topics in the community, as well as a multitude of reviews of various series like Battle Angel Lita and Jujutsu Kaisen, and recently, one of his favorite manga, Hikaru no Go. You gotta check out his YouTube channel for his series reviews as well as his essay videos where he basically vents about a topic on his mind, usually of great social implications to start a conversation in the community. And I highly encourage you guys to support his Patreon as well, where he has a lot of great options for you to pledge and receive additional awesome video content from him. I also want to shout out another great YouTuber, Mamalo's Manga, Aisha. She does a ton of different awesome manga reviews, including her weekly hentai reviews on Thursday Thursdays and the BL-focused podcast, The Yowie Shelf. Aisha's videos are always really fun, and her passion for manga really shines through always. Definitely give her a subscribe and watch her stuff. I want to also shout out Elian Renegade, one of the co-hosts of Demon Slayer podcast for their anime episodes, and also a great music composer. He's made some great Nami-inspired beats. Check out his SoundCloud for some really great music to listen to. If you have listened to the Demon Slayer podcast, Alien was the one who composed the team music for that podcast. He does really great work. Definitely support his music and check him out. I want to shout out David Brothers at Hermanas on Twitter. David needs no introduction for me. His work goes back two decades now through his blogs, through his work in comics at Image and at Viz Media. He's currently at Viz Media editing series like Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, We Never Learn, and Hell's Paradise. He's written lovingly about comics and music of all kinds on his blogs, has written his own collection of short stories and many personalists about his life, including feelings about being black in the creative industry, on his blog's fourth letter, I Am David Brothers, and his newsletter, plus podcasts about music and life, and so much more. Definitely give his broad body of work a shout out. Also check out the work of Brandon Bovia, who is a letter at Viz Media working on stuff like Transformers to Manga, Snow White with the Red Hair, Dragon Ball Super, among many other great series. Brandon's literary work is really amazing, especially on Transformers to Manga. He's done several great threads detailing the work he's put into that, the love he's put into that work. Definitely check him out for like some great lettering expertise. 
Also check out Carla Clark at DecapPixelCat on Twitter. Carla is another editor at Viz Media who has worked on series including Mashal, Matama Security, Mujirushi, and many others. She's an amazing editor, considering she's worked on a lot of comedy-focused series with difficult to adapt humor, but those series read so funny thanks to her great editing expertise. And she's also written a ton about anime and manga on Black Girl Nerds, Fandom, and a ton of other great sites. Definitely check out all her work, not just the manga she works on, but also the articles she's written up. I gotta shout out Yonko Productions at Yonko Broad. Yonko is everyone's favorite anime news leaks man. Runs a great YouTube channel debunking common myths circulating about series, highlighting the history of Shonen Jump, and what makes some of the series currently running in it interesting. Definitely follow Yonko for some inside scoops as well as some great video essays. Speaking of great video essays, you gotta follow Zaria and her channel. She is an incredible anime video essayist who has focused on exploring Yuri as well as leftist Marxist political themes in her videos. She has currently retired from being a YouTuber full-time, but her videos still stand among the best on Anytube, particularly her feature-length video essays on the Marxist influences in Hayao Miyazaki's work, as well as a career overview of Kumihiko Ikuhara. She's also writing her own novel right now that she's currently hearing publishers about, and I'm really excited to read it when it comes out, and her future novels and fictional stories. I also want to shout out Naja Bijali, Apek Naja on Twitter. Naja runs Blurdy Otome, where she looks at pop culture from a black woman's perspective. She gushes about the various anime, manga, video games she loves, but she also has a series in particular called Melanie Mondays, which focuses on exploring representation and inclusivity in medium fandom. Speaking of other bloggers, I want to shout out Jackson P. Brown, at Jack P. Brown on Twitter. Jackson writes reviews of manga and writes her own short fiction stories on her blog, along with personal postcarding her own journey to get her own book published. She's written many a thought on Berserk and MHA in particular, and I always find her perspective enlightening to read. I want to shout out Victoria at Miss Old School on Twitter, who runs one of my favorite podcasts to listen to right now, the Sailor Moon Fan Club at Moonies Club on Twitter, where she primarily interviews black creatives working creative industries who were inspired by Sailor Moon growing up. Victoria is a great interviewer, the guests she has on are all incredibly fantastic, and the conversations she has with them are always really fun, enlightening, and informative, both as a fan of Sailor Moon and as an artist myself. It's such a great podcast if you're a fan of Sailor Moon or just a fan of learning about fandoms. So definitely give that a follow. Give Victoria a follow. Also. Follow Eunice Amama at Black Girls Anime on Twitter. Eunice is the founder of Black Girls Anime, which is a multimedia and multi-platform site that has created a community for black women to express and share their love of anime and manga. I also want to shout out Destiny Senpai at Getting Animated on Twitter. Destiny runs the podcast Getting Animated, where she reviews recent anime and conducts interviews with tons of great guests. Recently, with some great black voice actors like Anaris 
Quinones, and Gabe Kunda. And finally, for now, I want to shout out Kiana Mai. At Kiana Mai Art on Twitter, Kiana is a storyboard artist working at Disney TV animation on shows like Big City Greens, but I mainly know her for her incredible love of Team Rocket and all her amazing Pokemon fan art, including tons of great drawings of the trio like the series Lasting Tober, where she drew each of the trio's Pokemon, and her frequent Jesse Delia ship fan art, and just tons of other great creative Team Rocket tributes that always bring a smile to my face whenever I see them on my timeline. Please check all of these incredibly awesome folks out. We'll be leaving links to them and their work, as well as links of where to find other great black creatives doing great work in this community. We have a link from Anime Feminist for especially people who are doing really great critical analytical work from a feminist perspective. We have a list from Nasha that she compiled about all sorts of different black creatives in the community from bloggers, podcasters, YouTubers and shop owners we have a link to a new twitter that is amplifying and promoting black-led anime podcasts as well as a spreadsheet that was compiled listing many we have tons of great links that we're going to be leaving in the show notes and in addition to all of those we will be leaving links to various organizations charities and petitions that will help support the Black Lives Matter protesters and victims of police brutality. And there is a lot of work to do, and a lot more that can be said. But for now, I will leave you guys with this. Black Lives Matter, fuck the police. Yo, Dre, I got something to say. This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast from AllComic.com, episode 121. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Lamramiyasha, and today we are doing another roundup on news. Despite being stuck at home in this quarantine situation, the world just keeps on going. The world of manga, that is. And we have so much to talk about. Oh, a, a very nauseating amount of news this time around. But before we get through all of this news, we want to send a special shout out to our good friend and now patron over at the Manga Mavericks Patreon, Jekka. We just uh, we just wanted to shout out Jekka and uh, show her our thanks for uh, for supporting us. Obviously, you know whenever. Whenever anybody becomes a patron over at the Manga Mavericks Patreon at patreon.com slash manga mavericks, uh, basically no matter what tier you sign up for, you will uh, always get a shout out on the podcast. So thank you, Jekka, for supporting us. We really appreciate it. 
Yeah, Jekka, thank you so much. You're awesome. And again, just thank you for supporting us and hope you enjoy like a lot of the bonus podcasts that we got put up on there. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm. Really appreciate it. All right. But now we have to talk about a shit ton of news, let's be honest. Uh, so, uh, starting off, we have the usual uh, list we cover on the podcast here. We have, uh, uh, first we have the uh, the New York Times graphic books and manga bestseller list for, uh, for the month of May. And uh, not much to talk about here for this month other than Volume 2 of My Hero Academia, in particular, placing... Number 15 on the list overall, so at the very bottom of the list here, we got some My Hero Academia representation, uh, and there's literally no other manga on the list. Once again, you know, the list is, uh, as far as comics go, is just uh, completely dominated by mostly, again, Raina Talgemeier. Yep. As per usual. Um, so yeah, that's, that's about it there. It is interesting that it's volume two and not volume one or the latest volume. It's just curious that seems very strange why volume two in particular is ranking so high. But I guess all the people who bought volume one now are just going on to volume two. It seems like it because, you know, as we just kind of move on here to the to the monthly book scan list for uh, for April, Volume 2 of My Hero Academia is number 2 overall on the list, uh, with Volume 1 ranked at number 3. So, yeah, you might be right on the money there. Yeah, every, every single person who bought Volume 1 of My Hero Academia is now simultaneously moving on to Volume 2, uh, because I guess it just took them that long to... Uh, to to get into the rest of the series, I don't know. Maybe maybe in this time of quarantine, people are like, you know what? I've read volume one of My Hero Academia. I thought it was all right. I'm stuck at home. Might as well order another volume. I guess that's just kind of dramatization of uh what might have happened there. Sure, maybe we've seen the peak of volume one sales, so now we'll see the other volumes start to rank higher. It's now, you know, we see people who've bought volume one now go on to the other volumes so it's interesting within the next year we will see volumes three four five all rank at the very top of the book scan list within like the next like year or two i'm sure uh this is a very interesting trend but as for the rest of my hero academia uh we have volumes 22 ranking at number five on the list uh volume 23 ranking at number six with volume three ranking at number seven as well as Volume 4, ranking at number 16, Volume 21, ranking at number 17, and Volume 5, ranking at number 19. So again, even beyond uh, the sudden increase in sales of Volume 2, still a lot of people getting into the series with the first five volumes, and uh, everybody else keeping up with the latest three, at least. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. MHA has eight... Volumes in the top 20, 40% of the top 20 is just MAJ. That's 8 out of 14 manga in this top 20. So over half the manga is MAJ. MAJ, clearly blockbuster title here. Far and away, like, the most popular comic on the market. Not, not, not even a global pandemic can stop the sales of My Hero Academia, it seems. Which is not pretty amazing. Nothing can slow it down. But yeah, as for the rest of the list, we have uh, One Piece Volume 93 at number 9, 
uh, which I believe is the newest volume of One Piece there. That That's always going to make its way on the book scan list. Uh, and then we have volume 6 of Comey Can't Communicate at number 10. Always nice to see uh, Comey on there. Not as frequent as I would like it to be, but, you know, it's it, it still usually makes its place on there at least, I want to say, like, every couple of volumes or so. But the latest volumes do seem to chart consistently. Well, see, I don't know, because I don't remember seeing... I mean, personally, I don't remember seeing Volumes 3, 4, or 5 on the list, but I could be just misremembering. But anyway, we have, uh, still on the book scan list, uh, we have Beastars Volume 1 uh, on the list. You know, actually, I think Volume 5 was on the list last time. Yeah, and you know, what's interesting about Beastars, and we'll get to Demon Slayer later, is that neither of those series had... New volumes came out in the month of April, but the first volumes continue to sell strongly, showing that there is a sustained interest in these titles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's for sure. And then, let's see, we have Attack on Titan Volume 30 at number 12. I'm assuming that's the newest volume of Attack on Titan. Attack on Titan, I'm, I'm kind of surprised we don't see on this list a little more often, uh, though maybe I'm just kind of, maybe I'm just so used to the days of, like, you know, Attack Days on Titan. Where it dominated yeah. the New York Times list. I think yeah. that the I think Attack on Titan is another one of the series that like we see the new volumes chart, but it's just not the presence that MAJ is, for example. Mm-hmm. And even then, I'd I'd argue that I mean, then again, I guess I don't know how often volumes of Attack on Titan come out, but I feel like I don't really see it on there super often, even when there is a new volume. But again, I that could be just me. Anyway, we uh, as we continue on the list, we have once again uh, the hardcover edition of Jinji Ito's Uzumaki. Oh, I should probably mention it's uh, number 14 on the list overall. Yeah, but we don't need to say anything else about that. Jinji Ito's popular. Uzumaki is clearly like his most popular title right now. Um, and you mentioned Demon Slayer earlier, but uh, yeah, Demon Slayer Volume 1 is at number 15 on this list. Again, uh, as you mentioned just now, uh, a lot of sustained interest in uh, both Demon Slayer and Beastars, so. Yep, I mean, we see a lot of interesting titles on the list. I mean, it's mostly all Viz Media titles with the exception of Attack on Titan. Oh, yeah. And mostly all Jump titles, though that's kind of attributable to the fact that MHA is most of this list, but... It's still nice to see that there are a lot of different titles and some up-and-comers, especially, that are doing really, really well on the market. And that's always really cool to see. But speaking of Demon Slayer, we're now headed into our serialization news. And the biggest piece of serialization news, I think, is that Demon Slayer has ended its run in Jump with Chapter 205 on Sunday the 17th. And it had a very sweet ending, just in general, the final stretch of chapters. Very satisfying wrap-up. And it is very surprising to see Demon Slayer truly commit to an ending, considering its explosive popularity, which we'll get to. But the franchise isn't quite over yet, even though the main manga is over. Because in the same issue where Demon Slayer ended, they announced a new spin-off manga focused on Rengoku is coming out. Hyojo Rengoku Gaiden Chapter, and it's going to be drawn by Hirano Ryuji, who was the mangaka behind Boza Beats, and also previously drew another Demon Slayer short manga about Gyu. 
So I don't know how long this Rengoku spinoff will run, whether it'll be a volume in length or just a couple of chapters, but it's definitely cool to see a new manga about the character, especially in the lead up to the Infinity Train movie. But Rengoku isn't the only Hashira that is getting some love in a Demon Slayer spinoff, because there's also a new Demon Slayer novel coming out, the third overall Demon Slayer novel, and that'll be focused on the Wind Pillar himself, Sonami. So that's also pretty good. I'm interested in seeing what that's about because I feel that character could have also used some more exploration in the story. Though they did get a lot of focus, I think that they could have gone even more. So yeah, I'm definitely interested in that and curious to see if any of the Demon Slayer novels will be licensed or come out at any point. And considering how popular the series is, I'd hope so. And let's just speak to Demon Slayer's popularity, since this is an opportune moment to do so. Because it is kind of crazy to think where we were with the series a year ago, and how far it's come in that year since since the anime. A year ago, Demon Slayer only had 3.5 million copies in circulation and copies sold but here we are a year later demon slayers copies how much it is sold it is over 60 million copies including physical and digital release so that is an increase of 17.5 times the amount in just a single year and even with the release of the most recent volume, even under the current quarantine situation, people are rushing out to the stores to grab the newest volumes. And considering that we still have Demon Slayer volumes left to go until the end of the year, the final volume of Demon Slayer isn't coming out until this December, I can only imagine where that number will be at. How many copies it will have sold this year alone. Already this year alone has sold 40 million copies, by far the best-selling series ever on the Oricon charts already in terms of how many copies it sold in a single year. So by the end of the year, who knows how high that number is going to be with like three more volumes left to come out. So it's kind of crazy to see Demon Slayer's explosive popularity and go out like on such a high note in terms of that. It is really, really impressive. And it really sets the expectation of like, man, what is going to be the next breakout like Demon Slayer? I'm looking forward to seeing what Gotoge's next work is going to be because they've established themselves as a really, really great storyteller and definitely someone that people will be having an eye on for their next work and the potential that might have. But yeah, I mean, Demon Slayer is like a hit that is kind of unprecedented or at least something we have not seen in many, many years in terms of how explosively popular it became. Yeah, I mean... I think it's even more amazing that uh, Shueisha even let Gotoge end Demon Slayer while, you know, while the series is riding this high of success right now. It came to a natural ending, and I think that, honestly, since Yu Yu Agusho 20 years ago, I feel like Jump kind of learned its lesson in terms of forcing authors to stretch their story out. So, if you look back at some other, like, popular titles... I feel like if the author wants to end the story when they want to end it, they let the author do that. They don't keep them stretching it out. So I'm not too surprised that, you know, it ended on its own turns. Though I am surprised that, man, like, 
it ended while still at a high, which is feels so rare. Like, so often, Jump Series and long-running manga in general feel like they kind of end at a point where people have started to get tired of it. They're not as high on it as they used to be. And oh, Demon yeah. Slayer had some people were like, oh, man, I don't like the direction the story is going. But in terms of general overall popularity and sales figures, in terms of general enthusiasm for the series, it's going off on its all-time high. So it is a series that's going to be remembered for a long time to come. Mm-hmm. That's, that's for sure. But I'm, I'm happy for Demon Slayer overall, and uh, I, can't, I can't wait to finally read it from the very beginning. So I don't have to wait for the next season of the anime, because who knows when that's going to ever come out. Demon Slayer isn't the only big jump series that's recently ended, because its partner in the same serialization round, you know the Haunted Hot Springs, also just ended with its 209 chapter on Sunday, June 7th. Crazy to think that both series started around the same time and ended around the same time. Heck, with the promise of an ending with chapter 181 on Sunday 16th, pretty much all the big new series that debuted in 2016 have come to an end within a month of each other in 2020. What a crazy coincidence. Anyway, Yuna the Haunted Hot Springs had a sweet ending where Kogarashi confessed his love to Yuna, and they were able to prevent her from passing away to the afterlife so they could get married and have a happily ever after. A good, clean wrap-up to its final arc and a fitting send-off to it. Arguably better than Neverlands, which based on consensus I don't think is very much of a hot take on my part. Though admittedly I was not keeping up with Yuna very closely since the only series that was never simul-published by Viz, but I'm sure we'll take a look at it on the show at some point down the line, especially since V-Lord is a big fan. Though interestingly, Yuna's ending means that Viz can finally claim to be simul-publishing every manga running in Weekly Shonen Jump in Japan, provided they don't skip out on picking up something else. But, you know, I guess Kentaro Yabuki's new manga isn't too etchy for them, so they've gonna be running that, and I'm excited for that, but we're going to save that combo for another die. Another surprise Shonen Jump-related ending, though, is Bunda Konami's adaptation of Ruby. It recently ended with its final chapter coming out last Tuesday on the 9th, and it ends with chapter 19. It's basically going to end with its second compiled volume. This is a surprise, meaning, you know, it basically ended right at the end of season two, but it kind of lost over a lot of the stuff that happened at the end of season two. Like, Yang didn't even meet her mom, so... I guess they knew that they were going to end this, and so they didn't want to set up any future treads. Like, you don't even see Cinder and her crew in the final chapter setting up all scheming for season three stuff. Like, it basically just ends where it ends, with a note that, oh, optimistic outlook for the future. Very, very strange. I am surprised that it ended so early on into the story, I thought I was supposed to adapt the whole story. I mean, why else call it the official manga? I wonder, are they giving up on these Ruby manga adaptations? Are they handing the story off to different artists to take the different parts of the story? Like, the Shiro Mia manga only adapted the trailers and his adaptation, and then they give it to Konami for, I guess, these first two seasons. So I don't know, will someone else pick up the ball for season three and onward? I don't know, it's very strange to me, but I mean, I can take or leave the adaptation. I think the art and storytelling bit was more engaging than recent chapters. I like the way Konami draw Room and Torchwick in particular. You know, they always look very menacing, but it improved with the Season 2 material. But the Season 2 material was already a lot better in the show compared to Season 1 to begin with. And 
even with the rougher production animation oddities of those first two seasons, I'd still say I'd prefer to watch Ruby than read the manga. But still, you know, we'll see what they do with Ruby manga going forward, whether they're going to make another ongoing manga series to adapt the show, or they'll just stick with those anthologies. As for a non-jump series ending soon, Hina Matsuri will be ending in the 76th issue of Harda Magazine on July 15th. The series will conclude with 19 volumes total, after running for nearly a decade of serialization since the start in 2009. I'm not up to date with the series, so I don't know how it's ending, though based on what friends who are reading it said, it looks to be a strong one. I'm looking forward to reading more of the series as One Piece books continue to release it. The last release book was Volume 7, so we've still got a dozen volumes of the hilarious hijinks of Hina Anzu, Hitomi, and the rest of those lovely Christian characters to read and experience, which I'm very much looking forward to. But uh, I think we can move on with the rest of our serialization news, and... Uh... We got some we got some One Piece related stuff to talk about because Oda himself wrote wrote a message, you know, to all his fans, you know, through uh through the HRO underscore staff Twitter, which uh basically is like, you know, the official Twitter for like any One Piece updates, especially as far as the manga goes and whatnot. But uh essentially in the message you know oda talks about how you know how how he's still drawing which is good basically throughout this pandemic you know since since he and his assistants you know all draw the manga you know analog that uh they're basically going to have to figure out a way to uh you know to draw in a way that uh keeps everybody at a distance so that way they don't get sick obviously so they could practice some social distancing uh, so he does warn of uh, some future interruptions, you know, with uh, with the manga uh, and whatnot. But uh, he still plans on drawing, which is good. And uh, he even mentions that uh, because right now, at the time of this recording, uh, the One Piece anime is even on uh, kind of a hiatus. It's uh, basically running reruns from the beginning of the Wano arc at this point. And while that's going on, they're basically uh, the anime stuff. Uh, at Toei are basically going to figure out a way to basically work under their current conditions. I'm assuming they're probably just going to have a lot of their animators maybe do their work from home or whatnot. So eventually the One Piece anime will come back, but I don't think we have any like, I don't think we have any return dates at the time of this recording. So it'll, it'll be back eventually, which is good. But yeah, that's basically about it there. So, you know, for anybody who's worried about One Piece, either the manga or the anime, it seems like it's still going to be chugging along. The manga, especially, is still going to be chugging along with new chapters with, uh, again, with some interruptions down the road. Oda will probably have to take some weeks off or whatnot due to that. But uh, yeah, the anime, obviously, we're still going to have to wait on that, but it'll come back eventually, which I think is good. So, you know, there's that. And then as far as some other One Piece stuff... It was confirmed in the ninth issue of the One Piece magazine that basically the Ace novels, otherwise known as One Piece Novel A, which I believe that was brought over as Ace's story over here in English. Yes, and it just came out this month. Which is cool. If you're if you're interested in those, go pick it up. I hear those are pretty cool if you want to yep. you know, spend V-Lord more time with Ace. V-Lord has a review of the novel on uh, all-comer.com that you can check out. All right. Quite enjoyed it. But uh, specifically, it looks like, in case you guys don't remember, uh, Boichi, at one point, uh, the artist behind Dr. Stone and uh, other series such as Sun Ken Rock, basically redrew an entire chapter of One Piece at one point 
Porsche to jump. And uh, we covered that on the podcast. Uh, Bomber and I really enjoyed Boichi's interpretation of uh, of that chapter in particular, and just on the One Piece world in general. And it looks like he's going to be coming back to do that kind of thing once again, because he's basically going to, going to be adapting the Ace novel, which is really cool. And it looks like he's going to have some help from uh, from Ryo Ishiyama, who uh, was the author of Amalgam of Distortion, which was a short-lived uh, series in Jump from a couple years back that I believe had uh, its first three chapters shown through through the Jumpstart initiative. Looks like they're going to be drawing uh, storyboards in particular, so that'll be interesting to see uh, how Boichi kind of like interprets those. And so, yeah, uh, I don't think we have any dates as to like when that's going to start. But uh, it is cool to see that Boichi's going to be drawing more One Piece. Uh, I'd actually, I'd actually check that out in general. So uh, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, it's a story. Sounds like a lot of fun. And Boichi is an incredible artist. I think he is an insane madman genius to be able to draw multiple series at once, like he can. But I am really looking forward to this when it comes out, and I'm sure it'll get picked up by Viz and. Maybe even silent published. So, looking forward to reading it. Alright. But uh, we were talking about delays and interruptions uh, earlier with One Piece, and it looks like that's going to be carried over into just weekly Shonen Jump in general. Uh, Shonen Jump, over on their on their official website and on their Twitter, basically issued a statement uh, saying that uh, the staff of the magazine are basically preparing for more delays for a lot of their ongoing series as uh, all of their manga creators are now drawing manga in ways that uh, minimize the risk of being infected uh, with, with the virus and whatnot. So basically, again, like with Oda and his staff, you know, we want to try to make sure everybody's healthy and they're practicing social distancing and they're basically going to try to figure out a way you know, for them to all work, I guess, separately and whatnot. And so this is probably going to lead into some, like, time increases for certain artists and whatnot. It's going to take a little longer for certain artists to get out their manuscripts. So we'll probably see some weeks in the future where I could even see Jump taking a few more weeks off, you know, later on in the year. Again, if not a lot of particular different uh, manga, depending on the title. You know, unfortunately, in the world we live now, you know, delays, I think, are just going to be are going to be pretty commonplace until we kind of learn to work in the conditions that we're working in. So that's basically mm-hmm. it for that. I think it's very likely, but I think it is a good move to have the artists take breaks in order to, you know, keep them safe and healthy, which is the priority, I think, we all have to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. Again, I mean, in general, I'm I'm all for not running artists into the ground and, you know, actually keeping everybody's health in mind. So it sucks that, the, uh, again, that for, I'm sure for some people, you know, their favorite manga might be off a week or two. But if it keeps artists healthy and happy, you know, I'm, I'm all for it. So, mm-hmm. uh, but that's really about it for that. So, uh, Lum, do you want to move on with the rest of our serialization news? Yeah, I mean, the COVID crisis is affecting more than just jump manga, of course, and I think the biggest manga that is affected and the most kind of historic thing is that Gogo 13 has gone on hiatus for the first time in its 52 years of serialization because of this pandemic. That is unprecedented for Gogo 13 to go on a break. It has just been running 
consistently for over five decades. But Jeez. the announcement has been made. The decision has been done because it's difficult for Saito Productions' 10 employees to do their work under the current state of emergency. And so, you know, the employees are absolutely essential to the work on the manga. So, of course, the smart decision, the right decision was to prioritize their safety. And it's something I definitely agree with, too. You know, of course, people's safety counts most. And it's just very interesting, though, to think like the pandemic has had this much reach that it could even force Gogo 13 to stop in its tracks for just a little bit. Mm. Wow. Indeed. But now we'll move away from the pandemic for just a little bit. But to go back on the subject of series that are heading towards an ending, it did recently come out in the 23rd volume of Fire Force that Atsushi Okubo mentioned that Fire Force is in its final stretch, basically. He is planning to head it towards its final arc, its final stage, and he's planning for Fire Force to be his last work, which that surprises me because Okubo is quite a young artist, but, you know, they do such incredible work, and... Considering the success that they've had, I think it's absolutely fair to take a break from manga, retire from manga. And so I'm very curious to see how Fire Force's conclusion pans out and what kind of note he leaves his career off on, because that's very interesting to me. But we have tons of new manga coming out from long-time creators, including a new manga from Akiko Igashimura called Watashi no Koto o Obetsu Masuka, which is going to come out on Kakao Japan's Pekoma service. It's actually already out and it's being serialized simultaneously in South Korea on the Kakao Paid service. And there are also Thai, Indonesian, Taiwanese versions of the manga that are going to be launching within this same year. But the manga is about a 30-something gossip writer who reminisces on her childhood crush. They are perpetually overworked and they clock overtime. But yeah, it seems like it's going to be a cute story about a working woman remembering kind of nostalgic days of her first love, maybe reconnecting with her first love. Sounds a little bit in the veins of Tokyo Tarareba Girls, though it seems like maybe this woman might have it a little more together than those women. But yeah, yeah, it seems like another great story, very relatable story. And I'm looking forward to reading it. Hope it gets licensed. I wish that English was one of the language options that this manga was going to come out in. I hope it was seeing Simul published uh, on a digital platform over here, but we will see. Hopefully we will get more. He got you more eventually. Ryoichi Ikigami is launching a new miniseries and a collab with Takashi Nagaseki under the name of Richard Vu. set to come out on June 26th in Big Comic Superior. This is an interesting team-up since Nagasaki is most famous for his collaborations with Naoki Urasawa. He edited and supervised Monster, produced Pluto, is credited for writing the story Billy Bat and Master Keaton, and wrote the script for 20th Century Boys' movie. So, could this pair potentially create a Urasawa-style trailer but with the art book of the artist behind Visit and Earth's Crime, Freeman Sanctuary, and so many others? I'm excited to find out. And then, finally, we've got some news that Natsuki Takaya's Fruits Basket, The Three Musketeers arc, is actually starting up a second season. 
when a new sequel chapter is debuting on June 20th. It's going to continue the story about the Mabudachi trio of Hattori, Shiguri, and Ayame, who are called the Three Musketeers in the English editions of the manga. And so, I guess there's going to be more stories about them, which is definitely very, very interesting i didn't think that that spinoff was going to continue but not only is it going to continue but yen press will be simul publishing it as well alongside another fruits basket related spinoff story fruits basket another has got a new chapter and that's already available for you to check out as well so more fruits basket is being written being drawn there's more to check out if you're a fan of the series and franchise Mm-hmm. But speaking of franchises in Yen Press... Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it looks like Viz isn't the only one looking into doing some Star Wars manga because it looks like Yen Press has uh, licensed a few of their own uh, titles. First off, we have uh, Star Wars Leia, Princess of Alderaan, which is uh, basically an adaptation, a manga adaptation of Claudia Gray's uh, Leia, Princess of Alderaan novel which was published in uh, September 2017 as a part of the Journey to Star Wars The Last Jedi series. And it's basically, you know, just kind of Leia's backstory as she kind of chronicles her journey as she becomes the ruler of Alderaan uh, and whatnot. So if you ever wanted to learn more about Leia, there you go. There's that. And then um, I think we mentioned on the show at one point that that the Line manga app was... uh, posting uh the star wars rebels manga adaptation and it looks like yen press has picked that up um so if you're interested in reading the manga adaptation of star wars rebels uh that's going to be coming out soon i don't think there are release dates for either of these just yet but uh if, if you're interested in reading more some more uh star wars manga there you go i'd be interested in reading the the one about princess leia in particular so, yeah, that that one sounds a little more interesting to me, personally. As a fan of Rebels, what I'd seen of Rebels, I'm definitely interested in the manga. The art looks really, really good, and the story of Rebels was very interesting. So, definitely curious to check that out. But the Leia one also looks to have some really good art, and also interested in that, too. Mm-hmm. I just want to mention real quick, speaking of pubs earlier, it's really important to mention that you can read all of Jujutsu Kaisen. Up to chapter 104, 5, I guess, at the time of this recording. Yeah, the most recent chapter. Yes, yes. So but yes, every chapter of Jujutsu Kaisen is in the vault. You can read the entire series. It is, it's the second series to close the gap after Haikyuu, but it's great that it has. And yeah, I'm super glad that now everyone can read it with uh, no interruptions, because it's a great story. I'm really enjoying it. And especially the current arc is like super intense and awesome. So get caught up and follow along and also check out our good friend Stefan Coza's uh, translation thoughts on new chapters and on their YouTube channel. They do some great reviews of the chapters and dig into some great lore things about the series that I always have a lot of fun watching. So yeah, mm-hmm. just check all that out. It's a great series and a great fan base. Yes, yes. And uh, yeah, I, I guess as far as 
But Jujutsu Kaisen isn't the only series in the vault with its chapter gap filled because Viz also closed its gap on Demon Slayer just a day after the final chapter came out. You can read all 205 chapters of the best-selling manga of 2020 right now for $2. Slay your backlog and shake it out. I guess as far as stuff we're waiting for gaps to fill, all we're waiting on is Actage. Yeah, Actage is the biggest gap now with, like, She's 40 chapters. Please, Viz, get on it. Please, please, I want to read that so bad. There has been no progress made in a year and a half since Act Age was picked up by Viz, but hopefully the volumes are coming out starting in July, so maybe we will finally see the gap starting to close. Oh, I hope so. Oh, but uh, I think it's about time to uh, talk about some Kodansha stuff. Uh, a lot of you want to take that away. Indeed, we got some new Kodansha licenses to talk about that are coming out. I mean, but first, let's talk about the fact that you can now get some Kodansha and Oracle manga on another platform, namely the Inky Pen subscription service that is available on Nintendo Switch. Basically, hundreds of Kodansha and Vertical Manga are now available through Inky Pen, including the big hitters like Attack on Titan, Parasite, Battle Angelita, and Fairy Tail. So you can subscribe to Inky Pen. Their all-you-can-read feature is like 8 bucks a month. So if you want to read Kodansha comics and Vertical Comics on your Switch, the Inky Pen seems like a good option to do that. But indeed, now let's get into the new June digital licenses from Kodansha. They are continuing to release stuff digitally, even if print stuff has slowed down, and the first stuff uh, that they've got listed is Stellar Witch Lips, and there's a star between the B and the S and Lips in this title. That comes from Hana Kagami and Kotoko Ichi, and that's coming out on June 2nd, about a regular girl called Miku Hoshino, who thinks nothing but her favorite idol, Rei, who's from the totally popular group M.A.G., but when she misses a concert because of schoolwork and she decides to do what any girl would do and she takes the help of a witch who turns Miku into a witch and turns her ordinary life into anything but and now it seems like a detective is investigating her or is determined to keep it that way so it's very <laughs> weird the twists and turns this premise took but the art looks quite nice curious about this next we've got hop step sting coming out on june night from Ray Kodama and Yui Asube about a shy girl who loves to sing but hates to perform because the title of an audience leaves her speechless and her dreams of being an idol are dead in the water as a result, but a classmate introduces her to the world who we are, and her world opens up, and she finds that becoming an idol, a VR idol, is within her reach after all. So what she can't do in real life and physical spaces, she is able to do virtually in a more comfortable controlled space, which is kind of an interesting premise, and I'm curious about that one too. But the next title we've got on the docket is Men's Life or Secret Life in the Boys' Dormitory by Ayu Watanabe on June 16th. That's coming out. It's about a girl who loves radio, and she believes in with radio she can be herself in private while still sharing her interests with the world. And 
He is totally unlike her twin brother, Yuta, who is a very popular extrovert on the volleyball team. But when the love of Yuta's life decides to study abroad in Australia, he asks Miyu to do something unthinkable, go to school in his place. So Miyu is now trusted in the world of volleyball, but also of men's dorms, and must do whatever she can to keep her secret. So this is another kind of gender-swapping, gender-bending manga. It's kind of like, oh, Hanakimi, that's it, the classic. So yeah, girl cross-dresses as a boy, lives in a boy's dormitory, and hijinks ensue. But next up, we've got Abe-kun's Got Me Now by Aki Iwai, and that's coming out on June 23rd. It's about a girl who doesn't really care for her school's karate champ, despite him being the national champ, because he's a giant, he's uncouth, and he's totally different from her dream dude, her angel and childhood friend, Takuto. But then, Abe, the hunk, the karate champ, injures his arm trying to protect her, and she takes it upon herself to get him healed for the sake of the school pride, but she finds the tables turned when he confesses to her. And so, now... She finds out that she's the girl he's been aiming for, and she's going to find out how driven a national champion can be. So this is a story about a girl who gets pursued by a really hot uh, karate champ dude. Even though I don't know if she's going to be into it at first, but maybe she's going to be one over. We will see. But the final title coming out from Gadansha digitally in June is Where Do We Shout For Love by Yuka Kitagawa. That's coming out on June 30th, last day of the month. And that's about another shy girl who has two loves in her life. Uh, though neither of them are dudes in this case. It's like being wrapped up in her futon and listen to the latest from a favorite girl group, KBF47. And so she spends her lunches alone listening to their music and indulging in a fan bless, but one day she decides to practice one of their songs and catches the attention of the school's infamous lone wolf, Ubakun. And so she's mortified, but Ubakun reveals that he's a fan of KBF 472, and their unlikely friendship gives Mayuka the confidence to grow. But then the pair attracts attention, and not all eyes are friendly. And so this is a tale about. Basically two introverts who really like a girl group, like kind of bonding over their shared interests and finding a community in each other and friendship in each other, which is sounds very sweet. Very nice. So some very cool shoujo titles coming out from Kadensha Conks in June. Some diverse premises here, some interesting premises here. Definitely stuff I'd like to check out in the future. But Kadansha also announced that in June, they're going to be re-releasing Chobits and Clover. So if you're looking for some classic stuff in print again, uh, you have that to look forward to next month as well. But now we also have another big announcement in terms of like classic or, you know, very popular manga being made available digitally, and that's The Drops of God, volumes 12 to 22 are now available on Comicology. You can read them through Comicology Unlimited, or you could buy them individually. Now they're like halfway through the series, because there's, you know, 22 more volumes left, so we will see them probably get to those. But basically, through this run, they have not only 
you know, basically gone far beyond like what was originally published in Drops of God. They also kind of have got into newer territory too. So very, very interesting. And uh, yeah, it's cool to see that Kadencha is continuing to put out more Drops of God on Comixology. I can't wait until they finally have all 44 volumes in total. Mm-hmm. Next up, we've got some new licenses from Cross Infinite World. Namely, hello, I am a witch and my crush wants to make me a love potion. And that's going to come out digitally on June 30th. It's basically about the Good Witch of the Lakes four-year crush, which ended in heartbreak with a single request from the object of her affections. And so she wants to increase what little time she has with her crush, Royal Knight Harij. And so she sends them on a wild goose change for ingredients for a potion. We get some more than she bargained for when the grumbling knight starts visiting her every day to feed her. So it's the heartwarming story of a shut-in witch and an arrogant straight saint who Roman starts from a love potion. So it's kind of a funny premise that she basically makes her crush go out to collect all the ingredients for this love potion that she wants to give to him. That is very amusing. So interested in uh, seeing more from that too. And then we've got some new stuff from Drawn and Quarterly that's really, really interesting. We've got a new manga from Yoshiharu Suge that they plan to release in January 2021 called Red Flowers, which is a collection of stories that highlights the nuance and empathy that makes Suge's work stand out from that of his peers, including stories like a girl uh, or rather a nameless traveler coming across a young girl running an inn, but while showing the traveler where the best fishing hole is, a bratty schoolmate reveals the girl must run the business because her alcoholic father is incapable. So at the story's end, the traveler witnesses an unusual act of kindness from the boy as the girl suffers from her first menstrual cramps. And so a simple travelogue takes on an unexpected act. So that is very interesting in terms of a premise. Suge was a uh, pioneer of Gekiga alongside Yoshiro Tatsumi, an author that I really love as well. So, yeah, I'm definitely glad to see more Gekiga manga come out over here. And uh, Drawn Accordy plans to release more of Suge's complete works in a separate volume set with the first one, The Swamp, having already came out in April, translated by Ryan Holmberg. But in terms of more works from classic authors coming out, we're getting some more Shigeru Mizuki from Drawn and Quarterly. Uh, Mizuki's adaption of Kunio Yanigata's Tono Monogatari collection of recorded folk legends is coming out in March 2021. This is a recent work from Mizuki that came out as recently as January 2010. One of Mizuki's last works, basically. And so, yeah, this... Original collection of stories was written in 1910 by folklorists and field researchers Kunio Yanagita and Kisan Sasaki. And so Tono Monogatari celebrates an archives legends from the Tono region. These stories were recorded as Japan's rapid modernization led to the disappearance of traditional culture. And so the adaptation mingles the original text with autobiography as Mizuki attempts to retrace Yanagita and Sasaki's path, but finds his old body is not quite up to the challenge of following in their footsteps. So as Mizuki wanders through Tono, he retells some of those famous legends, manifesting a host of monsters, dragons, and boxes, and in the finale, uh, Mizuki meets Yanagita himself, and the two sit down to discuss their work. So it's kind of interesting that Mizuki's adaptation, he kind of puts himself into 
the work and kind of navigates through it in a really interesting way. And I am super, super curious to read it. And yeah, I mean, Mizuki is a veteran author, one of the all-time greats. I'm so glad to see more of his work come out, especially some of his late work. So yeah, really looking forward to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, both of these sound pretty, pretty interesting. The one from Suge in particular just sounds like all kinds of tragic that uh, I'd be very interested in reading. I don't know. It doesn't sound tragic. It just sounds like kind of it takes an unexpected kind of. Oh, I'm an idiot. Okay, I'm clearly I'm dyslexic or something because I read unexpected death as unexpected death. Okay, so that that's on me. Whoops. Anyway. But anyway, I think we should just move on to another tidal wave of Seven Seas licenses. It's crashing down on us yet again. We have to ride it out. Oh yeah, we're uh, we're drowning. We're I'm coming up for air, and we got to get through these. So uh, once again, Seven Seas has graced us with more licenses. And uh, first off, we're going to be starting off with uh, with uh, Manly Appetites. Minagishi loves Otsu uh, from Mito, and that's going to be coming out on December eighth. And uh, it's basically about a guy named Minagishi, who is a handsome, friendly salaryman rising through the ranks at work. He does have one insatiable desire at the office. He loves to feed his grumpy co-worker, Otsu. Uh, Otsu might be taking the food, but he's not taking the bait. He thinks Minigishi's coolness is a challenge and refuses to be charmed like everyone else in the office. But the best way to a man's heart is through his stomach. I can confirm that. And Minigishi's attention might be reflecting a hunger for something more. Can he break through Otsu's hard shell? So this is a nice little uh, BL office comedy. And uh, I, I can't lie, I would read this. This sounds, this sounds pretty good. Yes, it seems very, very cute. And then next up we have, uh, Didn't I say to make my abilities average in the next life? Everyday Misadventures! Uh, from Yuki Moritaka. Which is basically a, is a spin-off of the uh, aforementioned uh, series. That is going to be coming out on November 17th. And it's basically like just a collection of a lot of uh, four-panel gag comics so if you're into didn't i say to make my abilities average in the next life you know that may be for you uh next up we have days of love at seagull villa from uh, naoko kodama which is a yuri manga coming out on november 24th when mayumi's uh, fiance leaves her leaves her for another woman uh mayumi impulsively decides to move away to start and start over again by the seaside i mean what else can you do uh, once there, she meets Rin, a tough but kind single mother who runs the housing complex Seagull Villa. While the two women might not have a lot in common, they're drawn to each other, and the relationship growing between them is deeper than they expected. Sail away on this tale of romance by the sea. Uh, again, this also sounds very cute, and I would read this. Yeah, man, to think that the author of NTR can create... Story that seems very sweet in terms of relationships between characters. Man, ever since their last work, I married my best friend. I have been very surprised that oh wow, they they can write very touching uh, relationship dramas and romances that don't get into like manipulation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, next up we have Kageki Shoujo: The Curtain Rises. 
which will be coming out on uh, November 17th and is from uh, Kumiko Saiki. And as the synopsis reads, uh, like the Takarazuka Review, the young woman, the young women who go to the Arts Academy, Koka Kageki High School, play all the parts of, mu- of musical theater, be they female or male. And uh, Narada Ai is a jaded former idol performing female roles. Her roommate playing male roles is, is a bright-eyed country girl, Watanabe Sarasa. From the school to the stage of the rest of their lives, there is no challenge these young women can't face with their passion for performance. So really, just based off the uh, synopsis and the cover alone, this looks like it could be really cool. Interestingly enough, this is a title from Shueisha that I guess apparently ran in the now uh, ceased publication of uh, Jump Kai from 2012 to 2014. Uh, I hadn't even heard of that magazine until now, which is interesting. But yeah, no, uh, this sounds like a really cool title uh, about, you know, people just in theater. And I don't know, just something about that just sounds really interesting to me. Yeah, always down for more manga about the Takarazuka review and especially manga exploring gender presentation and identity alongside that. Very, very interesting, cool. All right, but Seven Seas will also be publishing the first volume of the light novel series uh, from Yomu Mishima entitled uh, Trout in a Dating Sim. The world of Otome games is tough for mobs, and the first volume of that will be coming out on February 9th, 2021, in which office worker Leon is reincarnated into a particularly punishing dating sim video game where women reign supreme and only beautiful men have a seat at the table, but Leon has a secret weapon. He remembers everything from his past life, which includes a complete playthrough of the very game in which he is now trapped. Uh, watch Leon spark a revolution to change this new world in order to fulfill his ultimate desire of living a quiet, easy life in the countryside. So just just wants nothing to do with this conflict at all, which is a pretty interesting little twist. Yeah, definitely. I wonder about it. Uh, it like the first part of this premise made me a little concerned that oh, this seems kind of misogynistic and incelly, but then the last part, maybe it'll go in a better direction than that, maybe it'll be more like a villainous kind of story where it's kind of like exploiting, subverting, having fun with tropes, so uh, hopefully it goes in that latter direction. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, let's see, just to continue with Seven Seas here, uh, they will be releasing the first volume of Tamamo-chan's A Fox uh, from Rei Yuki, and that'll be coming out in print and in digital on January 19th, 2021, in which Tamamo is a fox from the Inari Shrine in Kyoto, who may or may not also be a goddess. Uh, she longs to try high school and all the fun and drama therein, so she transforms into a human girl. But her technique isn't perfect, so she doesn't change completely. Adults don't seem to notice her furry form, and her classmates pretend that she's just like all the other girls, but Tamamo is definitely shaking up their ordinary school life. So, you know, this could be cute. Yeah. I very much enjoy the cover of of her clearly trying out a Starbucks drink. Yeah. <laughs> very, very, very trendy for, for, a, for a high school girl, anyway. Yeah, I like the character design. Sounds like a cute premise. We're checking out. All right, next up, uh, Seven Seas will be releasing the first volume of The Saint's Magic Power is Omnipotent uh, from Yuka Tachibana and Yasayuki Shuri. Shuri. And the first volume of that light novel is going to be coming out in print on November 24th. 
specifically, uh, this first volume will, will debut earlier in digital formats, which is interesting. And so, yeah, uh, it looks like this will be available in print and digitally. So the light novel will be available in print on November 24th, and the manga adaptation is going to be available in print and digitally on December 8th, in which uh, the series is about a 20-year-old office worker who was whisked away to a whole new world. Unfortunately for them, uh, the ritual that summoned her, uh, meant to produce a saint who had banished the dark magic, brought two people instead of just one. Everyone prefers the second girl over her, but this is just fine by her, fine by Say in particular, uh, who leaves the royal palace to set up a shop making potions and cosmetics with their newfound magic. Business is booming, and this might not be such a bad life after all, uh, as long as her supposed sainthood doesn't come back to haunt her. So man, I, I can't imagine being... That's gotta suck being whisked away in another world for for the purposes of this grand mission and and then just being rejected on the spot. Yeah. That's got to be hard. But it it's it sounds like it could be kind of interesting though. Yeah, it sounds like an interesting premise for sure. <laughs> All right. Uh next up we have The Kingdom of Ruin from Yoruhashi. This will be coming out digitally and physically starting on December 1st of this year in which uh humanity long lived in harmony with witches, but an advanced scientific resolution revolution has made the powers of a witch unnecessary. Uh, Subcoming to resentment and fear, the greatest nation in the world begins a brutal witch hunt and eliminates all witches from the land. Uh, After being forced to watch his beloved teacher die, Adonis, a witch's apprentice, uh, swears revenge on the empire that took everything away from him. It's a bloody battle between science and magic in this thrilling new manga series. So this sounds like Sounds like a very uh, dramatic, action-filled series. I wouldn't mind checking it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, this next one seems pretty big, considering who the creator is. Yeah, new Takako Shimura manga. Definitely looking forward to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Takako Shimura, for those who don't know, is the author of a very, very beloved series that I believe was uh, cut short here, as far as releases go. Wandering Sun. Yeah. They did not release all of it. They stopped, like, halfway in, basically. But, yeah, I mean, Wandering Sun and Sweet Blue Flowers both are actually quite popular titles. And you can read all Sweet Blue Flowers, at the very least. That's from this. Just a side note, I have I have to think Wander- someone's going to pick up Wandering Sun again at some point. Uh, you'd hope so, for sure. I don't know. Because I, I think, uh, I know there were, like, all kinds of issues with that uh with that series and like when it was released and whatnot but like i feel like it could do yeah, i mean better. it was too pricey their release of it it was like hard covers that were like 26 dollars, and you know it's been said a lot but the series resonates it means a lot to people who you know are from marginalized identities and may not have the financial power to purchase like $26 books so you know they didn't really know their audience they didn't really kind of consider like they tried to promote it as like this prestige title but like that audience didn't really pick it up so it's like it just was kind of a bad strategy in terms of release i mean if anything i feel like seven seas would be the perfect company to release that nowadays but that's just me yeah i mean seven seas has had the most incredible success with promoting and distributing LGBTQ teams' works. So, 
Uh, but, but maybe one day. I'm sure that's a title they get in their uh, surveys quite a lot, probably. Mm-hmm. So they're, I'm yeah. sure they're aware. Well, they're dipping their toes into Shimura wait, even though we're adults, though, which is really cool. Yes. That's going to come out January 26, 2021. And it's basically a, a Yuri manga about a woman who is a school teacher in her 30s. She stops by a bar one day and runs into her old friend, Shuri. Sparks fly, the two chat. Before the night is over, uh, she even goes in for a kiss. And her friend, you know, is intrigued but confused. Especially when she discovers that our protagonist here actually has a husband. So, you know, they find out love doesn't get any easier even when you grow older. So, yeah, I'm definitely down for kind of a manga about two women, like, reconnecting, finding love in their 30s. That's definitely kind of a rare kind of story we don't get a lot of you know even in the your genre especially like it's all very focused on like high school young protagonists uh, so i'm glad that we have like a a woman's love manga about you know women who are in their 30s that's really great to you know have and i'm really looking forward to reading this Mm-hmm. for sure why don't you take over for this last release i i i get the feeling you're You'd be very excited for this one in particular. I am also very excited for this because this is a new manga from Agata Kabi, another autobiographical work of hers called My Alcoholic Escape from Reality. And that's going to come out in a single volume edition print and usually on January 26, 2021. And it's basically going to discuss and explore Kabi's kind of downward spiral with alcoholism and becoming detached from reality and being treated in a hospital for pancreatitis and hospitalized it's gonna be pretty brutal it's gonna be pretty tough and intense and i'm worried for kabi but i also am concerned and care which is why i want to read it and see like what is going on and there's always also, you know, just a lot to get out of how Kabi describes her situation, and explores her depression and her mental illnesses in a way that I find really relatable and touching and powerful. And so Kabi has done so much with her works to kind of push into boundaries and make the idea of graphic medicine manga more like widespread and talked about and so you know i think that this is another good uh entry in that kind of line in terms of like talking about these issues in just kind of an honest true to the heart way and so yeah i'm i'm very much interested in reading this and man i i hope kabi does find like happiness in her life and finds that security so I just want to continue supporting them as an artist and their work since they're putting themselves out there like this. Mm-hmm, for sure. We wish the best for Kabi, obviously. So, And uh, that's really about it for all of Seven Seas' titles. Uh, honestly, I, th- I think out of everything, like, I, I really want to read, uh, really want to read Manly Appetites. That just looks really cute to me. Uh, the last two titles we just mentioned, those three, I think, are probably, like, the ones I'm, like, the most interested in. Yep, those three, plus the new manga from uh, Noko Kodama, and the one about the Takarazuka review. Oh yeah, yeah, the, or that one too, the Takarazuka sure. review, like you know, Academy. Yeah. Um. In general, yeah, I think a pretty good batch of stuff from Seven Seas that I'm uh, I'm looking forward to reading at some point. 
Indeed. And so the wave has receded, but we've still got new licenses to talk about, more new licenses, and actually from a new publisher called Tente Books. Another one? Yeah, they're a new light novel localization and a publishing company, and they've announced that they have the acquisition rights to There's No Way a Side Character Like Me Could Become Popular, right? And they've also got a Welcome to the Diner of the Exiled, and those are their first two licenses, and they're going to release these licenses in both uh, English and Spanish. But the first volume of Sekaichi and Tomari's uh, There's No Way a Side Character Like Me Could Be Popular, right? It's coming out on May 29th, and it's basically about a person in high school who considers themselves pretty normal, but they, you know, are avoided because apparently they look like they're out for blood. But there's only like one person that doesn't steer clear of them, who is like the most typical perfect guy in every sense. He has like no flaws. And so school just goes on as usual until one day, like, Haruma's super popular sister just confesses to them out of the blue. And even though she later clarifies that her feelings towards him are like anything but romantic and that she has an ulterior motive, he ends up accepting uh, her new role as a fake boyfriend as a favor to Haruma. So... Believe it or not, uh, the moment that they start going out with her, uh, Harma's idol, tear childhood friend, and uh, his super hot teacher get involved with him too. So somehow uh, he ends up in a dream rom-com scenario being set up for a guy who once just taught himself as like the side character to this like super popular guy. In this kind of way, it sort of reminds me of how Takio taught it himself in the beginning of my love story. Though, I feel, I don't know, I don't know if this will be quite as sweet, especially with the whole teacher uh, love interest angle, but we will see about that. The other title that Tente has licensed a plan to release comes from Yuki Kimikawa and Nostra Gao, Welcome to the Diner of the Exiled, is about a person who was backstabbed from like one of the strongest guilds around that he belonged to, and uh, he was dying anyway to use his level 99 cooking skills so he leaves the city behind and opens up a dinner in the countryside meets a girl who is also kind of kicked out and exiled for, this time from her like noble household and was relegated to slavery until he saves her but the pair open a diner together and the first client is actually another person who was exiled an exiled knight from a different guild and it's very peculiar but you know, she is not the only customer because a cocky mage and a drastically overworked and underpaid sage become regulars as well. And so, you know, the knight brings trouble to the diner at times with Dennis's cooking skills and beloved butcher knives cuts through the trouble in hunger alike. And so, thus begins the legend of Dennis and his dinner, the talk of the town. This premise, the beginning of it, it has some similarities in my mind to Kimono Michi in terms of how characters meet and relationships, and kind of the general antic of it, I guess. But I guess we will see kind of what the direction goes. It basically seems like another isekai cooking manga, where people just congregate together over, you know, the love of good food. I immediately want an anime of this. Honestly, mm. this sounds like it could be pretty fun. 
But if Cod Manga are more your thing, Manga Planet has you covered because they've licensed 11 new cat manga. All from Homesha Inks, Neko Neko, Yoko Cho, Manga Portal Site, and they're all coming to Manga Planet in June. These include Neko Betashi from Chi Shinkyu, which is about a woman mourning the loss of her beloved feline companion, but, you know, she decides to turn over a new leaf and find herself a new baby to love, and so she picks up a stray and takes him on with her, and surely nothing will go wrong with that, right? And that title's coming out on June 1st. Then we've got Baby Zocha from Yumi Ikefuji coming out on June 2nd. And this is about a kitten and about, you know, a cat mom giving birth to her first litter. And then she and her children have a lot to learn about the wide world they live in. So it's all about this cat mom, Millie, and her fluffy, clumsy kittens as they grow through laughter and tears. And this is actually a spinoff to the popular series Zocha no Nichijo. Then on June 3rd, we've got a Nuku Nuku final, I Love My Cat, from Naomi Akimoto, which is a warm and fluffy size of comedy depicting Yamada and his beloved pet cat, Shima's ordinary, precious daily lives. Then on June 4th, we got My First Cat from Shihoko Shimura, about an office worker who just lives an ordinary life. But, you know, a chance encounter leads her to adopting a cat, and she has feelings about this kitty. And so it's a typical story about a typical woman and a typical cat who finds a new home in each other. And on June 5th, we got Rio Ikumis. There's a limit to cuteness, which is about, you know, how not all cats are the same. They're all lovable and cute in their own ways. And it's an autobiographical manga about Ikumi Sensei taking us through the Ikumi family's long history of cat parenting, starting all the way back from their first cat, the King Majestic Kyo, as they call him. But then on June 6th, we get Cat Melting Pop by Sakura Iwamichi about the Yuichi's house's 10 cats and one dog. And so can the family keep up with how many crazy pets they have and their distinct personalities? I guess we'll see. That's way too many cats. It is, yes. And then on June 7th, we got Ri Yamamoto Inks uh, keeping a cat at the age of 30 uh, you know, about... A woman who gets dumped by her boyfriend eight years and then adapts a cat on a whim. But the cat can actually call her out and talk to her about her life choices. That sounds like a really funny angle. Then coming in August 2020 is Patissie Air Long Dis Shot. And that comes from author Chai. It is about a town where only cats live and where there's a patisserie named Long the Shot. And surrounded by a very dependable manager and powerful seniors, a tiny part-time worker tries to find his wall within the shop while going through his personal growth along the way. Then next we've got coming out on September 2020, Manga Dekoroko Yokocho Tokyo Kanban from MS Work. And that is about... You know, a cat in charge of a tourist information center who guides feline tourists to the shops best known for their respective cats. Then on September 2020, from Rama Kusumi, we've got Inamori Nagaya no Neko Kashikuro. And that's about uh, Edo. There is a 
cat rental house there. Some cats get out and they get bought. And then everyone knows that as long as their problems are related to cats, there's no better place to go. And so added to the mysteriousness of this place is the beautiful order Kuro, whose Asian gender are well-hidden secrets. And so day after day, trouble customers come and knock. And so it's basically a manga all about a person solving cat problems for people. It's pretty interesting. And then finally, uh, coming out in September 2020 from Sugisako is Boku to Yoji no Nijuen. And that is a heartwarming story about a cat and his human. And they were both born during the same year. And the cat has been at his owner's side for 20 years. And they've been together through the thick and thin, dark times and first loves. The time they spent with each other is an irreplaceable treasure. And so it spans from their youth to their last farewell and it shows just how the most ordinary of days are oftentimes the most important and beloved of times. And so the first chapters of all these manga are going to be available for free on Manga Planet on their date of release, but the rest are going to be available through subscription. Oh man, that, that last one sounds like it's going to fuck me up pretty good. It seems like it's going to be very emotional, indeed. Oh, man. Wow, oh, so many cat manga. If you've been so hungry many. for cat manga, you know, you are going to have a lot of actions through Manga Plan, a lot of diverse, different cat manga stories. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I will give them this. They don't all look too similar in premise and plot, so that's, that's pretty good. But uh, my only question to Manga Plan is, uh, when are we going to get 11 dog manga? That's what I'm, that's what I'm looking <laughs> for, but I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Cat manga definitely seems more popular than dog manga. Just yeah. from a notice. I can yeah. definitely think of more cat manga than dog manga. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty true. I'm, I'm sorry, everybody. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not that much of a cat person. I know that might be controversial, but I just, I, I like dogs. And I especially mm-hmm. like my dog. Yeah. <laughs> but Manga Planet isn't the only service that has added like a ton of new titles all at once because Fudakia has added 35 new boys love titles from the Julian Publishing Library that is all going to come out on June 2020 and because we only have like the titles of these I'm not going to read them all out I'm not going to go through the list but thank god yeah 35 new titles on Fudakia I counted recently like how many titles were on there there are over 100 there are like 111 titles so add another 35 on to that that you'll be at over 140 titles come june fans are going to be able to read the first chapters of all these titles for free on fudikia and then subscribers will have access to the entire library but you know fudikia plans to continue growing a lot in the next couple months they plan to have at least 400 titles available to scars by the end of 2020 so they're going to continue to grow very ambitiously i'm very very curious but they're building an awesome library of bl titles so Mm -hmm. very much looking forward to that speaking of fudikia lum and i recently got an account to fudikia and uh we're going to be trying out that service very very soon so maybe maybe look forward to a podcast about Futakia in the coming weeks, possibly? Yeah, I definitely think that's in our future, and I'm very excited to talk about them and go through the catalog. All right. So, uh, yeah, I guess we can uh, – I mean, that, that, that's really about it for all the licensing news, and boy, was there a lot of it. Uh, but now we have at least a, some industry news to talk about. That we do indeed. Speaking of manga subscription sites, manga sites where you can 
you know, read a catalog of titles on. Manga Rock has finally shut down with the launch of the creator's new official platform, Inker Comics. You know, they shut down their service and launched on um, iOS and Android, the Inker Comics distribution platform, which is partnering with publishers including Tokyo Pop, Fan Fam, Comic Loft, and Tang Comics, and they plan to publish manga, webtoons, and manhwa digitally. Their titles mostly right now are kind of mostly Taiwanese and Chinese comics, so definitely more on the manhwa end. Uh, they have a couple titles on there right now, like Battles for the Heavens, Sue Brother School Life, World Ruled by Cats, uh, Generation Wu, and uh, Hero and Shiro. And so, yeah, I guess... Uh, we will see, like, how this fares. We will see if Manga Rock truly stays dead for good. Uh, it's no longer available through the App Store or Google Play Store. So, we will see. And, uh, hopefully this is another step forward towards the curbing of manga piracy. Personally, I'm I'm still a little skeptical, but I'm also, I'm also willing to wait and see how things go. Yeah. And considering, well, teaming up with Tokipop is not necessarily like a stroke of confidence there, you know, <laughs> no. they're both, these are both pretty shady companies, uh, at least in their past, so they could turn over a new leaf together, but uh, we will see. That would be the best case scenario, yeah. Mm-hmm. In terms of just some general updates about, like, some personnel changes over at the big companies, former Viz media exec Rob Pereira is moving to Netflix. Pereira was formerly the vice president of business development at Viz and uh, oversaw strategy from May 2016 to January 2020. So a lot of this is growth in last year, I'm sure, that he oversaw. So very curious to see him move to Netflix and, like, what kind of dealings he's going to be doing there as the new head of anime editorial and publishing stationed in tokyo and then we also have a personal opinion from crunchyroll crunchyroll has appointed julian lehung as the ja pack content strategy head who is going to oversee content strategy original parties and identify new opportunities with partners and lehung is previously a netflix guy he worked with netflix to launch the japan service and was director of content for netflix japan so he's got to know the japanese market pretty well he's got to have some connections there so very curious what his addition to crunchyroll the directions that is going to lead will definitely be interesting Mm -hmm. now we're going to head into just some quick updates on some con cancellations and actually some virtual con things that are happening. But yeah, in terms of big cons ending, big cons canceled until the next year. Otacon not happening this year. And yeah, I mean, that's the biggest one not happening this year. I mean, surprisingly, perhaps foolishly, Anime Matsuri is still planned to go ahead in Texas in July. Uh, We will see how that fares, even if they do operate, whether people will go, we'll see how that goes. But in a totally unrelated monstery, Anime Limited is hosting 
a virtual con called Cloud Monstery that's going to be streaming for free on its YouTube channel for May 30th, 31st, and they're going to have some pretty cool guests, like Science Cyro producer Young Choi, Studio Orange President and founder Eiji Inamoto, Polygon Pictures President Shuzo Shiota, like some really cool guests, and the event's going to start on both days from 10 a.m. EDT to 6 p.m. EDT, and it's going to be partnered with Crunchyroll, Atsuko, Manga Entertainment, and Koei Tecmo Europe. So yeah, cool new virtual con to check out that's going to have some pretty big names attached to it. And that's not the only virtual con to look out for because Foundation is doing their own virtual con at what would have would have formerly been Anime Expo Weekend. They're holding Funimation Con on July 3rd and 4th. It's going to be a two-day stream of cosplay meetups in its panels, Q&A sections, and more. Personally, I feel like Funimation panels are not the best at uh, cons that I've gone to. Uh, their licensing panel is very boring. Uh, but, you know, if they have panels hosted by like the actors that's always really fun like any actor or any panel that's hosted by sean chamel or chris sabat or monica real it's a hoot it's always a ton of fun so actor panels looking forward to those uh from this virtual con those are a ton of fun and in terms of filling the void of san diego comic-con is doing a comic-con at home event a virtual sdcc this summer so, yeah, we're going to get some San Diego Comic-Con content potentially being streamed online. Crunchyroll Expo has also been canceled rescheduled for next year. Curiously, they'll be doing it in early August in 2021 instead of on Labor Day weekend in the past. Honestly, I may prefer that, even though it's closer to Anime Expo that way. But speaking of Anime Expo, the con may be canceled on the ground, but the SPJA has organized an online AX experience and instead set for July 3rd and 4th. Bushy Road, Pony Canyon, Cultural, and Viz Media are all listed as participating in the event. And while details are sparse, I wouldn't be surprised if we'll get a Viz Media panel stream during this, probably with the usual few new licensing announcements in tow. We'll definitely keep you guys posted when more details about the AX Lite come to light. So, you know, for those of you missing some cons, the con experience, we have some attempts to kind of recreate that at home. But the coronavirus is, of course, affecting anime production, and so the latest Pokemon film, which was set to come out in July, has been delayed. Black Clover is on hiatus as of its most recent episode, like 132. It's in the middle of a two-parter, too, which is very unfortunate, but uh, I guess that'll just drive up, like, kind of the anticipation for the next part of that and see what happens with, uh... Oh, jeez, what was the... utter guy's name. Leopold? Was that his name? One of the Fuguelion's little brother. Oh, um... Jeez, he got me. He's the least interesting of the three siblings. Like, Mario Leona, Fuguelion, and then that guy. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, Leopold, that's his name. So yeah, we'll see, uh, I guess, how that two-parter resolves itself. But, you know, it probably is a gonna help Black Clover maybe in terms of taking a break because you know they are pretty close behind the manga like they they've gone into filler to fill in that like six month gap between you know the time skip you know so that was pretty wise of them but like you know maybe they can do less filler to keep the gap now I guess yeah I don't know I was really shocked to see like how quickly the anime caught up to the manga 
at this point. So yeah, I was surprised to see like at what point they're at because like they're like only six months behind. Yeah, I mean, unless they wanted to go the Naruto route and do eighty episodes worth of filler, I, I oh don't, gosh, I don't see. I hope not. I don't see how they couldn't not catch up. Honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Black Clover is on hiatus. You know, we will see when it comes back, but it's not the only thing postponed. Food Wars' final season has been rescheduled to July or later. They don't even know if they'll be able to air it all in July just yet. And then Promise Neverland was originally going to come out this fall, but that's been postponed to next year, January 2021. The broadcast of the upcoming new similarly since Haikyuu Higurashi seasons have also all been postponed indefinitely. So yeah, a lot of big anime being delayed. But there's also new anime that we can look forward to coming soon. Hopefully those won't be delayed. I guess we'll see. But we are getting a new Prince of Tennis anime. A new original anime. It's going to have an original story. And it's basically titled Yote vs. Rikai. Uh, Takashi Kanomi is supervising it. It's going to be the first time that the two schools are phasing off against each other. The announcement did not give a format for the anime, whether it's going to be like a TV anime or a film. But New Prince of Tennis anime, an original story at that. Like, that definitely is interesting to me. Especially since it's a matchup that we've never seen in the series before. If it is a TV anime, I can only imagine it will get picked up by someone. If it's a film, I'm not so sure, but maybe. But in general, very, very curious to see uh, Prince of Tennis get a new anime project. But for me, you know, the biggest news in terms of new anime that came out recently and something that I'm incredibly excited for is that Inuyasha is getting a new sequel anime called Yashihime Princess Half-Demon that's set to come out this fall, and it's going to be focused on the daughters of Seshomaru and Inuyasha going on a new journey. It's a new original story with character designs, premise from Rubiko Takahashi. The creative team behind the original Inuyasha anime is all coming back, including Teru Sato, directing at Sunrise. We have Katsu Yuki Sumisawa in charge of series scripts. We've got Yoshito Hishinuma returning to adapt Takashi's designs for animation, and we've got Kaoru Wada returning as the musical composer. So, like, the entire team, like, some of the biggest names on the previous Inuyasha anime is coming back, and Viz has picked up the rights to it for streaming and home video. So, I'm super excited. It's gonna be about what especially has me excited is that it's gonna be about Seshomu's daughters in particular. Seshomu's half-demon twin daughters, Toa and Setsuna, are separated from each other at a young age. Toa, uh, the older daughter, wanders into a mysterious tunnel that sends her into present-day Japan, and she's found and raised by Kagomi's brother Soda and his family, and then ten years later, you know, the tunnel that connects it to Eris opens, and Toa is reunited with Setsuna, who is now a doomsday working for Kawaku, but Toa's shock, uh, Setsuna doesn't have any memories of her, so they're joined by Moroha, the daughter of Inuyasha Kagomi, as they travel around uh, Japan, trying to look for clues about, like, what happened to them, trying to regain their missing 
past and recover sensitive memories and like there are more like character details that i'm really really fascinated by like i love toei's design i love that she is very masculine presenting that she's playing with gender in that way that's super awesome to always see i i mean i'm very interested in the idea that moruha was apparently like been on her own this whole time you can see that in her character design too like her coat is all patchwork like it's been sewn up and stuff so like she's been like kind of on her own for a long time and uh, you know in the character synopsis it says that she was quote-unquote abandoned from an early age and i have to wonder like what what does that mean what happened to inuyasha and kagome they wouldn't abandon their child what where are they where's the shomaru who is toa and sisuna's mother oh there's so many questions i'm so excited i'm so so interested i'm very 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 like much looking forward to this so yeah this is like man it was already like an incredible time to be a Takahashi fan with all the manga being re-licensed and republished here in English but now we got this new Inuyasha anime and I'm super pumped I got plans I got so much (laughs) to look forward to very very happy boy I don't think I'm prepared for like the 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 amount of like new people that are gonna get into Inuyasha because of this and like all the new posts I'm going to see about it online, all the new, like, artwork, memes, I'm... Oh, it's already been crazy. I've seen so many fans so excited about this. You know, Lax fans being coming back and saying, oh, man, this looks really cool. I want to revisit Inuyasha now. I've already seen so many awesome fan art of the new characters of Setsunomura and Toa. So, yeah, there's already... A huge fire lit under the fan base. They're, everyone's really excited for this. And so I'm hoping that the show really, really blows us all away. Really engages everyone when it comes out. Uh, it looks so cool. My my roommate the other day, like the same day this news broke out, because you know how like people will steal like memes from, from Twitter or whatever and put them up on Facebook. Because she, she primarily uses Facebook. Uh, she was already seeing the... Uh, uh, what was it? The who fucked uh, Seshomaru uh, memes or whatever. Oh yeah, around. Josh had a pretty viral tweet about that under like Sakaki's tweet about the news announcement. Like that was pretty funny. But yeah, I mean, in terms of that discourse, you know, I'm definitely in the camp that does not want it to be written. So hopefully not. Even if it is, I will still watch because I am just too invested in Miyasha. But yeah, I mean, I'm curious about the mystery behind, like, what happened to these characters, what happened to the characters we knew. So, yeah, again, like, as a huge Inuyasha fan, a huge Akahashi fan, like, there's so much to look forward to. But no, sorry, what I was saying was that she she was seeing that, and she was telling me, uh, oh, man, I better get into this before I start seeing it everywhere, <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> she, I, I, guess, I guess she had, well, she's seen Inuyasha, but... Yeah, I don't know. It honestly, like Inuyasha is kind of weird for me because, like, Inuyasha for me is like that one Adult Swim show I always saw at five o'clock in the morning or whatever every time I got up for school. I never really watched much of it. I feel like I should get on it at some point, maybe read it or something. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they kept it on air for like thirteen years, so it's behind Cowboy Bebop. It was like the second longest anime that they kept on air continuously on Adult Swim. So. Huge cultural impact. Do you think Inuyasha might be a good um, candidate for the Manga Mavericks Book Club? Because I totally wouldn't mind doing that. I will tell you right now that I'm going to be doing an Inuyasha kind of revisit outside of uh, the book club. But yeah, I'd love to do it on the book club too. Okay. 
We'll do something with Inuyasha at some point because I know we. I think you and V Lord did a did a retrospective on it, like yeah, really early to celebrate on the twentieth yeah. anniversary of Inuyasha. Yeah, during the first year, basically of this podcast run, we did a Inuyasha retrospective, and then we also did the manga fight on Inuyasha with Josh. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. Yeah, so if I do do a Manga Mavericks book club on Inuyasha, like, honestly, that sounds pretty exciting, because, like, I've maybe seen, like, maybe ten episodes altogether, like, throughout my whole lifetime, so, like, mm. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't mind getting into it. I'd be pretty excited about that. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a good time to get into it and to get into Takahashi's works in general. Like, I think she's coming back in a big way. Very, very happy about that. But in terms of new projects, uh, now we have a lot of new Hollywood adaptations of anime manga properties coming out, including the Gachamon film that is being directed by the Russo brothers, and they have confirmed that it's actually going to be telling a new story, an original story. So that's kind of curious to see, like, what they will do with the mythology of the series, like how they're going to reimagine it. And uh, hopefully they don't miss the mark uh, and still kind of keep it true to the spirit of what Gotcha Man is and what people love about it. But, you know, in terms of deviation from kind of like the central conceit, it's not like uh, that's new for the Gotcha Man franchise because Gotcha Man crowds did kind of the same thing. So, yeah, we will see how that goes. But I think you in particular said you were really, really excited or at least interested to talk about what is coming up from Sony here. Oh, boy. So... This is a big one. A story that was broken by Variety, of all places, that uh, Sony is developing a live-action Hollywood film adaptation of One Punch Man. It's finally happening. (laughs) The thing that everybody wanted, I'm sure. I have a lot of mixed feelings about this, so let's just get some of this out of the way. So, as, as far as who's working on the film... Uh, Variety credited uh, Scott Rosenberg and Jeff Pinker in particular, who, in case you may not know, uh, were basically the two people who wrote Venom and the uh, and the Jumanji films with uh, with The Rock. They are going to be writing the script for this movie, and uh, it looks like Arad Productions are going to be producing the film. And uh, according to Variety. Um, I don't know who they quoted this, but Variety said that, quote-unquote, Sony is very high on the property, given its popularity. So that really sa- that really says something about the popularity of One Punch Man. And also, quote-unquote, uh, there is the possibility of adding another franchise to the pipeline. So that tells me that they probably they probably want to do multiple films, maybe, if this, you know, gets off the ground. <sighs> Man, you know, I gotta be honest, like, I want this to work. Because I feel like this could work. I don't know how I feel about the people they've chosen to write this film, just because... I don't, I don't know about you, Lum, but I've mostly heard pretty, pretty mixed, if not negative, things about, you know, about the Venom film. You haven't seen it? I, I haven't seen it, but honestly... Oh, well, the Venom film, I think, was quite funny. Like, I don't know if it was always intentionally funny, but there were a lot of, like, moments in there that were quite amusing. Like, it Fair enough, was yeah. not, like, the most compelling plot. Like, it was very awkward at points. And so that's kind of where the unintentional humor came in. But, like, they had something there in okay. terms of, like, the dynamic... Like, uh, between Venom and uh, the main lead. They had some fun 
stuff in there that had potential. They just kind of went in more of a comedic, uh, let's not care about doing anything too serious kind of direction. And then the Jumanji films are quite funny. I actually I hear really good things about the them, second. Yeah. yeah, I like both of them. I think the second one especially was really funny, though. I think a lot of it was just because Danny DeVito was very funny, or more specifically, like the rock impersonating Danny DeVito for most of the film <laughs> was hilarious. Uh, so, like, they have a good sense of humor about them. And One Punch Man is a series that kind of, you know, if you hinge it on the humor, first and foremost, like, it could really succeed, like, in terms of, like, a self-aware satirical parody, you know, kind of in the same tone of Deadpool. I think these Jumanji films, Venom, they kind of touch it on a similar kind of tone. Okay. So... Yeah, I don't know if we can expect, like, great action from a One Punch Man live-action film in the hands of, like, these writers. I mean, I don't feel like the Jumanji or Venom films had great action, but, like, in terms of comedy, uh, in terms of, like, wit, character humor, I think, like, you know, this could get that down pat. So it could still be a good time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm very skeptical but like i w- i want to believe you know i i'm i'm feeling the same way that i did about the netflix death note movie yeah. where i don't want to fall into that trap where like i get really hopeful that maybe this will be good and then get and then become sorely disappointed with the final product i don't know if i could go through that again but like i feel like out of anything one punch man probably has i want to say probably has the best potential to be a pretty decent like summer blockbuster movie on its own I mean, I'm I'm also mm. I'm also kind of afraid that like maybe it might end up being too similar to like a Marvel movie, possibly. Yeah, I mean that's kind of the tone I imagine they'll do. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm hoping I'm hoping it's not too similar and that it has its own identity, but you never know. I'm definitely going to go see this though, whenever it does get made. I guess it depends on how long how long until we see the final product cuz didn't they announce a live action My Hero Academia movie at one point? Yeah, that's in development too. Yeah. I really wonder how long it's going to take for these movies to get off the ground, especially with, you know, the pandemic going. Yeah, I think we're going to be a few years out before we actually see these films like come out. I think they'll be stuck in development for a while. Hold on. So I, I was I was looking through I was looking through both these guys' uh, IMDb credits or whatever, and I'm trying I'm trying to find it here real quick. So according to IMDb, just a little fun fact, uh, Scott Rosenberg in particular was apparently responsible for the screenplay of Kangaroo Jack, 2003's wow. beloved Kangaroo Jack. So there's that. I don't know, that probably doesn't have anything to do with anything, but I just I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah, uh, kind of all over the place here, but uh, it's just because, like, I... It's just because, like, it's one of those things where it's like, I really want to be positive, but at the same time, like, I don't know. I, I've been seeing a lot of negativity towards this. Like, a lot of people are very, very skeptical at the very least about how this is going to turn out. But I don't know. Well, yeah. I, guess, I guess we'll have to see. Yeah, I mean, it seems there are a lot of live-action projects being made of anime properties in Hollywood these days. We'll see how well that they do them. In other movie news, the Kingdom live-action film is getting a sequel after its successful box office run last year in Japan. Shinsuke Sato will return as director, and all the main actors will be present in their roles. I really enjoyed the Kingdom film, and had the pleasure of seeing quite a number of times. And I'm really excited to experience more of the story on the big screen in the near future. 
but it seems Netflix in particular has confidence in their live-action Cowboy Bebop series they're developing, even though that production has been kind of on a standstill on hiatus since John Cho injured his knee last year. But even so, even with all the setbacks, they're already planning for a second season. And so they have a notes call on season two scripts. They've got those being developed. So I guess we will see. I guess the first couple episodes, whatever work they've done on it so far, has been promising enough that Netflix is looking into more. So we will check that out, I guess, when it comes out. See, that that one I feel a little more iffy on just because I, I feel like a live-action version of Cowboy Bebop should be a one-and-done thing. Like, Yeah. I don't know how I feel about there being more than one season of a Bebop show. Yeah, I wonder, are they going to retell kind of the same story beats of Spike's conflict with Vicious in this live-action version, or are they going to change it to expand upon it and, like, stretch it out? I think that's probably what they're going to do, stretch it out, so we will see, but... Speaking of Netflix, we've got some cool new anime dropping on Netflix in the next couple weeks and months here. Because we've got uh, the next series of Pokemon becoming a Netflix exclusive. Pokemon Journeys coming out on Netflix on June 12th. And so I'm surprised. I guess, you know, the Pokemon Company's relationship with Disney has ended. I guess the new series is not going to air on Disney XD. It's going to Netflix first. Kind of falling off on them premiering Mewtwo Strikes Back Evolution first. So, yeah, interesting. And, you know, I'm looking forward to checking out the dub of this. Uh, the new series has been great so far, a ton of fun. So, yeah, I'm glad to see that it's going to con- continue to come out, even uh, under these current circumstances. Not only will North American viewers be able to enjoy Pokemon Journeys, but the show has also just started rebroadcasting in Japan, so there's going to be even more episodes to look forward to in the months to come when Netflix drops another batch of episodes. But also really excited that's coming out soon is the new Doro Hedora anime that's dropping on May 28. I have got the soundtrack about the ending themes kind of on my playlist because they're so good. Like... I'm really, really excited to check out the anime adaptation Dor Hedoro, as I've really gotten into the manga, having read most of it earlier this year, and uh, planning to cover it on the show later this year. So yeah, super excited for the anime, seeing how they adapt it. If nothing else, like the direction in terms of visual aesthetic and the musical score is absolutely fantastic. Total bop. So yeah, very, very excited. Trigger's brand new show, Brand New Animal, is dropping on Netflix and a pretty quick turnaround for them on June 30th. If you've been hungry for more anime about a society of animal people like Beastars, especially a Trigger take on that kind of story, then this should be up your alley. And I'm certainly looking forward to digging into it myself. And then, uh, in terms of, you know, a big title people have wanted on Netflix for forever, One Piece is finally dropping on Netflix on June 12th, and it's gonna have, like, the first 130 episodes, the East Blue and Alabaster Arts. People have, uh, wanted One Piece on Netflix for a long time, so now we've got at least part of it on Netflix. So, yeah, if you, uh, wanted to check out One Piece but only have Netflix, uh, there you go. I mean, look, One Piece is, like, the perfect thing to put on Netflix if you want something to binge forever. Yeah, and maybe if it does well on Netflix, they'll pick up the other 800 episodes. Hopefully. 
Yeah, but there will definitely be dubs of more episodes because the English dub has resumed of One Piece from Punk Hazard onward. You can actually buy those episodes, at least the first tier teen episodes of Punk Hazard arc digitally already on various platforms. But the first uh, voyage, the first DVD of season 10 is going to come out on June 9th. So that's something to look forward to as well, that the dub has returned. The first 12 episodes of the Punk Hazard dub are also now up for everyone to watch on Funimation's website, and there's a special bonus treat, One Piece Stampede, is also available to stream on there too, until mid-July. So, if you missed it when it was in theaters, now is your chance to check it out and bin some new dead One Piece episodes afterward. But, Crunchyroll actually is continuing some of its dubs, and actually debuting new dubs, surprisingly, so I guess their production has gotten more on track. You know, Somali... And Science Fell in Love and Welcome to Demon School, Arumakan and Inspector are all having new dub episodes come out soon. But uh, they're also doing dubs of currently airing shows like Eight Sun, My Next Life as a Villainous, and Tower of God. So you can check those out as well. I think they've already announced cast lists for a villainous in particular and seems like a good cast. So looking forward to checking these out as well. But also looking forward to check out Country Wall is City Hunter. Basically, the entire City Hunter catalog is now on Crunchyroll. Like, for the first time, all of the classic City Hunter franchise is on Crunchyroll. Pretty much everything. So, yeah, that's super exciting. City Hunter is a franchise I really wanted to delve into in a long time. And now that the anime is basically all available streaming, I definitely plan to get into it. So, yeah, really excited about that. It's really cool. Looking forward to checking it out. But speaking of classic anime and series licensed by Discotech, Discotech had some amazing, awesome announcements recently that they announced during their anime lockdown uh, panel. And I think we'll start off with one of the big ones here is that they are going to release a new Detective Conan film on Blu-ray, or at least, you know, this is a special from a few years ago, but it's going to be dubbed. It's going to come out on July 2020. It's Detective Conan Episode 1, The Great Detective Turns Small, which is basically a retelling of the first episode with some added stuff in. It's going to have, like, the new dub that they've been, you know, using since the Zero the Enforcer dub premiere last year. And yeah, I'm really excited that there's going to be more Conan Case Closed Media coming out over here, dubbed especially. That's really awesome and exciting. It's hugely, hugely optimistic and hopeful for like more films getting licensed by Discotech, dubbed and released over here. I think that's probably the direction we'll be going in. So yeah, I am definitely happy about that. I, I saw I saw some Twitter account quote like a facebook post or something from discotech's page but like i yeah they said that more on the way in their panel that's good because when i when i tried to look for the facebook posts i couldn't i couldn't find it but yeah it, it looks like they want to release more movies down the line so hopefully maybe we'll even get like re-releases of like the older movies or hopefully maybe like uh, whatever movies maybe uh, Funimation would have done if they kept the license maybe possibly i don't know we'll see indeed definitely gotta be buying this though i can't wait to buy this oh yeah i mean i have already ordered my copy so look forward to that coming in but also some significant new discotech uh licenses include stuff like you know the love hina again ova and then they've got the katsuhiro otomo ontology film memories and they've got the 1969 anime classic film a thousand and one nights they've got Combatter V, 
and they relicensed a Scryad, which Sentai had previously licensed, but did nothing with the license. So now they actually have got it and are going to put it out, actually, thankfully. But for me, of course, you know, the biggest announcement that I was super happy about is that they have licensed and are going to be releasing the remaining Yurusi Yatsura movies. They already did Beautiful Dreamer, but now they've got the rest, the other five. They are all going to be coming out with subs and dubs on Blu-ray, and I'm super excited about that. This is a great step forward for more of the anime getting relicensed and, you know, redistributed over here. And if these films do well, I'm hoping that the, you know, TV series will get picked up by them and put out over here. I mean, if they can do City Hunter, hopefully they can do Yurusayatra. So this is absolutely great news. Really excited about it. And yeah, I can't wait to pick those releases up. But in terms of just some other stuff as we're winding down here, let's talk about some Jump-related things. You know, if you're looking for more stuff to read, if you don't have a subscription to the Jump Vault yet, but you want to read some free manga, the Jump Vaults are opening up like for a week every Friday with like a selection of chapters from a different series every week. So far, they've done like uh, the MHA overhaul arc and then One Piece of Skypea arc. So I think Viz is going to keep that up for, you know, a couple of weeks uh, through this quarantine. So if you want to check some more stuff out on the Jump Vault and don't have the subscription yet, uh, definitely look forward to those in the future. But we also got a new Shonen Jump contest where they are looking to find the next Shonen Manga Star. It's basically a contest that is going to, you know, have a lot of diversity in terms of like how you can create manga because you can you know write entries outside the usual genre and you could also write them in both vertical and horizontal reading formats one of the judges of this contest is going to be yuji kako the authorist of uh hell's paradise Raku, and the winner is going to receive one million yen or equivalent to uh 9,400 US dollars and will get a guaranteed publication on Jump Plus. And artists can submit their works uh, via the Shonen Jump Rookie website until July 26th. But that's not the only contest that you can enter because there's also going to be a Minute Bank and Shueisha Partner Contest called the Tezuka Manga Contest that is searching for talent around the world. And there's going to be some super incredible judges on this one, including Akira Toriyama, Chiro Oda, Kazuhi Kato, Koyorokoshi, Takigui. Inouye Tesca Productions, and even the editor-in-chiefs of Weekly Shonen Jump and Jump Square. Huge, incredible panel of industry legends are going to be judging this contest. It's a regular contest that Shonen Jump hold every year. It's named after Tesca, of course. And it is looking for entries in English, Spanish, Chinese, and Korean. So, like, you can write them in any of those languages. And so the first prize winner will be published in either the digital print version of Jump. They'll be invited to the awards ceremony in Tokyo. And they'll receive uh, 2 million yen, which is equivalent to 18670 The second prize winner is going to be published in either digital print of Jump. And will be invited to an awards ceremony in Tokyo. And receive about $1 million, or $9,335. And then an honorable mention winner is going to receive 500000 yen, about $4,067. And invited to an awards ceremony in Tokyo. And then the winner will be announced in December. And so rules and information are going to be available on the website. And yeah, I mean, this is an incredible opportunity open globally. 
And uh, definitely, if you are someone interested in like submitting your work, you should check this out and submit your work because you know there's already entries that people have uh, submitted that you can check out too, which is really really cool. So yeah, people are very excited. People are definitely going for it. It's really awesome. Mm-hmm. I love seeing this. And yeah, so those are some cool contests for aspiring artists to enter. But now I think we'll close off our news coverage here by going over a cool little list that is ranking some titles not from Jump, but from one of its competitors, Shonen Sunday. Yes, uh, I'm sure our friends at WSS Talkback blog and Twitter will be very happy to hear us talk about some Shonen Sunday stuff. With uh, Japanese polling site Goo in particular, they polled uh, 14,846 people uh, basically asking which weekly Shonen Sunday manga titles they consider that they consider the best, essentially. And uh, yeah, we basically have uh, we basically have the results here: the top ten best weekly Shonen Sunday series ever. This is uh, definitely a definitive list, and uh, yeah, of, of all time, no no arguments to be made here for sure. Anyway, so I think we can start from the, start from like the bottom ten and go on up. So. Um, at number 10, we have Mitsuru Adachi's Touch, which, uh, you know, I think we've mentioned it on the show here and there, but obviously Mitsuru Adachi is quite honestly, like, a legend in terms of, uh, in terms of not just Shonen Sunday, but in terms of, like, sports manga and especially baseball manga. Touch, I know, is a very, very, like, basically was a cultural phenomenon from what I understand in Japan back in the day, so, yeah. I hear they still play the opening team in baseball games in Japan. Let me tell you, Japan loves their baseball. As uh, that as indeed they do. As our good friend Maxi, who I think at this point we can we can call Shutter Jump expert and baseball manga expert at this point. <laughs> indeed, will tell you. And then at number nine we have uh, Kazuhiro Fujita's Karakuri Circus, which um, from what I hear about its recent anime adaptation, I know it had some issues. I think in terms of it like the, rushed. Yeah, I mean it was like only. 36 episodes to adapt 43 volumes so not like kind of the best format to adapt that story it definitely felt like the story was very piecemeal and disorganized because it was going straight so fast but i mean i think it speaks to just fujita's like popularity as an artist that not only is Karakura Circus on here as like a title that people love, but this isn't even the only title of Fujita's on this list. And Fujita's the only artist to have two series in the top 10. Mm-hmm, for sure. And we'll get to that in just a bit. And next up at number eight is a series I've never heard of before from Matoka Murakami, known as Musashi no Ken, which just kind of quickly looking it up right now, uh, seems to be a kendo manga. Yeah. Uh, which is also, uh, according to manga updates, uh, classified as also an ecchi sports manga thing. It's interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, all the way from 1981. So, yeah, yeah. I, I've never never heard of the series until now, but uh, I wouldn't mind checking it out. Yeah, I mean, it even had an anime as well, so... I'm surprised that uh, this has never been licensed, this isn't talked more about, but it seems, at least in Japan, it is kind of a well-remembered title that people, you know, still uh, hold fondly. Mm-hmm. At number seven, we have a a little indie series known as uh, Urusei Yatsura from Rumiko Takahashi. I don't, I've never, never heard of that. Sounds no, we lame, didn't honestly. talk about it on the show just a couple episodes ago, no. I don't do a podcast about it, no. 
I'm my so. favorite manga. No, no, but it's interesting. Yorzy Yatsura is on here, like, over Ranma. I mean, Ranma, I checked it. It's not too far behind the top 10. But, yeah, I'm surprised Yorzy Yatsura is ranked as the most popular Takashi manga on this list. Considering, you know, we had the whole NHK poll last year. And Inuyasha was, like, far and away the most popular on there. In terms of, like, sales and seems over, like, cultural impact, Ranma is, like, incredibly, incredibly popular. But yeah, I'm happy to see your Siatsha rank so highly on this list. And glad to see that people still hold it uh, so dear and long to their hearts. Mm-hmm. At number six, we have Major from Takuya Mitsuda, which obviously has a sequel running in uh, in Shonen Sunday currently at this moment. Uh, Major, going back to the wonderful world of baseball manga, is definitely probably one of the staples of Shonen Sunday, quite possibly. I've known people who, like... Uh, who are huge major fans that have like begged me to get into major and honestly from what i hear it sounds like it's a pretty good series like i'm i'm a sucker for like legacy type stuff because i think major obviously has its main character who kind of sort of goes on to be like a mentor type in major second if i'm if i'm remembering that correctly uh, I think Maxi would probably know that again better than I would, but uh, yeah, I've heard good things about majors, so um, I'm not too surprised that it's in the top ten. And at number five, something I did not know came out of Shonen Sunday is Masami Yuki's Mobile Police Pat Labor. I know, I know the anime franchise for this in particular is quite beloved. I don't really know much about Pat Labor. Like it's something I see around well, a Pat lot. Pat Labor is awesome. I love Pat Labor. I have not checked out too much of the manga, but I've seen most of the anime franchise and it's a great it's just great police procedural and what if if like we had like these giant robots that we could use for like labor but also law enforcement and it's kind of grounded in terms of all the problems they face in terms of funding and maintenance and like all sorts of logistical issues but also ideas of like terrorism and then government overstretch of authority and power stuff like it tackles a lot of really interesting themes and so yeah i really love the characters i really love the premise and the stories so yeah i'm glad to see it is remember fondly uh, and i really wish i could check out more of that manga version like it used to come out over here by viz the long long discontinued so maybe that could be relicensed one day i would definitely love to read more of it Maybe, possibly. Next up at number four, we have Hiromu Arakawa's Silver Spoon, which uh, recently this year just ended, so... It did, and this is like the most recent title on the list if we don't count what's number one, which is still ongoing, but... Yeah, I mean, Silver Spoon was like a breakout hit. You know, people love Arakawa's works, but Silver Spoon is also something really special in terms of, like, the topics of, like, growing up that it deals with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Silver Spoon was something I used to read weekly back when I you know, read more scans, but like every week it was, uh, it was a series I really looked forward to reading. And, uh, unfortunately because of all the hiatuses, like I kind of just lost track of it. So I never got to finish it, but I, I want to finish it at some point because, uh, Silver Spoon is a series I, that I, I really enjoyed reading. Uh, Hiromu Arakawa just in general is just such a, just such a master at what she does. And then at number three, uh, one of my childhood favorites, Zach Bell from Makoto Raiku, otherwise known in Japanese as uh, Konchigi no Gash Bell. 
man, Zatch Bell, I, I have such fond memories of like watching the anime through Toonami. And uh, I was really sad to see that they just kind of stopped airing it. And they basically aired whatever dubbed episodes they had left over in like Canada or whatever. Well, they streamed on Toonami Jetstream, too. Oh, did they? Okay, yeah. See, I, yeah. Didn't, I didn't use Jetstream too much, but yeah, no, I was uh, I was really sad to see uh, to not finish it for years until like maybe actually like a couple years later because I think I eventually watched the rest of the series fans subbed online, and even then I was like, man, that's how it ends. Yeah, not a complete ending. I think I read like the last however many volumes didn't get adapted and. Uh, Man, uh, so I've never actually, like, read the whole manga. I need to actually, like, get on that. I th- That's another series I really want to start collecting before it eventually, like, goes out of print. If it's not already, maybe. Oh, I it's out of check. print. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, it I'm sure it never is. finished. It's, you know, publication over here. They stopped, like, volume 25 out of 33 because of the whole rights issues plus the big recession and all that stuff. So. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, Kodansha one day will republish it. That would be nice. Please, that would be nice. Like, I would, like, I, w- I would love to see a new edition of Zatch Bell and finally actually, like, read all of it in its entirety. Because Z- Zatch Bell is something I'm, like, super nostalgic for. And I would love to talk about on this podcast at some point. And then a number two, a series that I really need to get into still is Ushio and Tora, again from Kazuhiro Fujita. I hear a lot of good things about the anime for this one that came out. Man, when when did that anime come out? I want to say 2014? Yeah, just a couple years ago. Okay, if, if 2014 feels like an eternity away at this point. But yeah, no, I remember watching a couple episodes 2015 of 2015 to 2016. Okay, there we go. Yeah, I remember watching a couple episodes of this and thinking it was pretty cool. Yeah, Yoshio and Tora is great. I really enjoyed it all the way through, and the adaptation, you know, that did 33 volumes and 39 episodes, but it felt so well-paced that it didn't really feel like anything was missing. Like, I thought that the not only pacing was good, the storytelling was really strong, characters were great, like, just really, really awesome adaptation of a classic that I would love to read the original manga of. I checked out a little bit of it and was surprised at, like, just how much more stuff is in there and i don't know i feel like the anime probably made smart decisions in terms of like getting rid of fluff i guess but like i would like to read the complete story because there is so much more to that story that you know was not in the anime man it's really a crime that there isn't more fujita manga like over here in the states yeah it's just a problem that his works are just so long i guess and until recently didn't get too much visibility Mm-hmm. I mean, look, it, like, in a perfect world, we would at least have all of Fujita's series digital only at the very least. But uh, maybe one day. Never say never, I guess. But uh, uh, no no surprise that number one is Case Closed, Detective Conan from Ghost Aoyama. Uh, clearly the most popular thing in Sunday right now and probably ever will be in Sunday, quite possibly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's Sunday's flagship. I was going to say next to anything from Rumiko Takahashi, I guess. Well, I think definitely far and away, Conan is the face of uh, Shonen Sunday. It is their most popular, highest selling title ever. It is, you know, a kind of a cultural mainstay in Japan. It is no surprise that it is number one, as it, you know, is a title that I'm sure everyone is aware of and knows about. It had a resurgence of popularity in recent years again and now even internationally is getting a resurgence 
thanks to companies like Discotech. So, yeah, I think, you know, Conan's spot oh, at the top like, spot is uh, yeah. well-deserved. Mm-hmm. I guess other series that didn't rank in the top 10, but I'm assuming received a lot of votes were Rama One Half and uh, Osamatsu-kun, as well as Yakitate Japan, which... Uh, yeah. All those are, I think, are also pretty important to Shonen Sunday, so. Most definitely. Especially Osamatsu, but, uh, yeah, uh, that's about it for that list, and, uh, yeah, I, I think that's about it for all of our news. And, uh, yeah, unfortunately, I, I think originally we wanted to cover the newest, uh, jump starts, uh, on this episode, but, uh, I just don't think we really have the time this episode, unfortunately. We might have to save that for next time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that will probably be a future episode. Yeah, but again, another another news filled episode. I think I think I'm okay with uh, doing like at least one catch up episode a month at this point. Or I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Like the things could change, but uh, uh, because it is a lot of news to cover. But uh, we, we we try to cover news when when we can and when we can fit it on our schedule because we have so many other episodes of the podcast that we uh, that we plan to record, and it's it's hard to place things in the right episode, you know, if we don't have enough time. Yeah, this wasn't too bad, though. We didn't record for, like, four hours. I'm actually quite <laughs> impressed that we managed to get it basically within two hours, just a little over. Two hours and change. I think I think we did good. But I guess, uh, Lum, do, do you have any community shout-outs you want to put out there? Or do we want to save those for yeah. next time? Or Okay. Since we talked about virtual cons on the show, I do want to shout out Anime Lockdown, which was kind of a recent virtual con that got a lot of buzz. There were some problems just in terms of, like, diversity of panelists. Some of the panels were not that interesting. Like, I tuned into the history of Shonen Jump panel. It was very boring. It was just a guy listing off series, and there were some series that he clearly didn't know much about. Like, his summary of Kim and Gory Orange Road in particular was like, do you even know what this story is about? Why are you focusing on the Esper aspect? That's, like, the least significant thing about Kim and Gory Orange Road. But anyway, overall, though, there were some really cool panels it was a really cool experience like i really enjoyed the kyle bear and ronka taylor uh q a's i really enjoyed my tools panel on cults anime cults or cults that use anime to promote their messages and a panel kind of on the history of localization of anime in america like how the how early like anime localization efforts try to americanize a lot of anime. And you can check out the uh, archived recordings of a lot of those panels on Anime Lockdown's YouTube channel. So if you want to check out some of those panels, definitely, you know, head on there and they're all up there for you to listen to. And uh, yeah, there's a lot that I definitely recommend, like the ones I just listed. But yeah, I think that's all the community shout outs that we'll mention for this time. And I think for now, we'll just wrap up the show. Mm-hmm, for sure. Like we said, we'll uh we'll probably do uh we'll probably cover those jump starts next week and then uh from there we have a bunch of exciting stuff coming down the pipeline that uh we'll just save that for uh when the time comes once we get a little closer to some of those episodes and when we have them finished edited and whatnot. But uh for now I think we could just plug our stuff. Uh Lum, you know, take it away. Where can the people find you? 
Yeah, you can find me at Lumbranyasha on Twitter and as Lumbranyasha where I do places like AnyList and Animation Revelation wherever it is the Lumbranyasha, that's where you can find me. I write reviews on all-comic.com, manga reviews. we got a lot of books coming in, a lot of books going out, a lot of reviews going out, so definitely look forward to those on there. And you can also check out my art on my art Twitter and Tumblr at SidArtWorks. That's where you can find it. And yeah, so just uh, check all that stuff out. Do you quickly want to mention the new episode of a possible side podcast that just got put up right as I'm checking my podcast app? Yes, we recently had the opportunity to review Apple TV's new animated series, Central Park, which is from the creators of Bob's Burgers. And we reviewed the first four episodes, and I really, really enjoyed the series. We Lord did too. We recorded a podcast on it where we kind of described our initial impressions, mostly spoiler free. So if you. We just wanted like some quick impressions on the show a couple weeks ahead of when it comes out. You know, definitely check that out. I think we do a really good rundown, kind of give just a good sense of what makes the show really special and what to look forward to. And it's going to be kind of like this irregular kind of thing that we'll probably talk about TV shows in this new Manga Mavericks on TV side podcast format. Like this is just kind of a... A thing that we did because, well, we got to review this show. We should probably make a new podcast specific to, like, covering TV shows. So whenever we get the opportunity to do more, like, early access review like this, or if there's any TV show we really want to talk about, we'll cover it. Among the on TV. But, yeah, you know, if you're really interested in Central Park and are curious about it but don't know if you want to get Apple TV to watch it, uh, check out our review. and. Maybe that'll convince you to give the show a try because, you know, I really, really enjoyed it. You know, I'm a huge fan of Lauren Bouchard's shows, uh, you know, rating all the way back to, you know, Dr. Katz. And like Central Park is just such a wonderful evolution of it. And I think it's the best show that creative team has done yet. So, yeah, you know, check out our podcast and check out the show. All right. I'll definitely have to check that out then. Uh, as for me, I'm Colting. You could find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I also host and uh, produce a few other podcasts on my own, which you can find links to at my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. I have a page dedicated to whatever podcasts I'm doing at the moment, including Life Lessons, the Gintama Manga Cast, which is on a hiatus, but still. Uh, as well as One Podcast Prevails. We talked about Detective Conan and Case Close earlier, if you want to hear my thoughts, and uh, as well as my friend Doctors. You know, our thoughts on Case Close as, as it pertains to the manga, or really anything else we decide to cover. You know, you want to listen to One Podcast Prevails, that's at onepodcastprevails.com. And yeah, again, uh, you can listen to all my other stuff. You can find links to all my other stuff, again, at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Alright, but as for the podcast and all comic, you can find every episode of the Manga Mavericks podcast posted on all-comic.com. That's where we post every episode first, unless you are a subscriber to our Patreon at patreon.com slash manga mavericks, where we basically put up early access editions of our podcast episodes depending on when we have those edited, if we... If we have those edited early enough before they're supposed to go up on the main feed, uh, we'll put them up on our Patreon for people to listen to uh, before anyone else. That's at our $2 tier, but if you want to subscribe for any more actual new bonus content, uh, you can subscribe to our $5 tier where you are guaranteed a new bonus podcast at the end of every month. We have quite the number of bonus podcasts at this point, at least like, you know, 12 or more. 
uh, how, however many we, we have a year's worth of bonus podcasts that you could listen to uh, right now we are doing a manga Mavericks book club series uh, where we go over Masami Kuramata's Saint Seiya manga for the very first time that's being hosted by uh, me and again my good friend Doctor from the Ask Backwards Anime Podcast and we have a uh, bonus review coming up soon which uh, we'll probably just mention on the next podcast so uh, look forward to that that's coming up soon we'll talk more about that next episode but yeah again that's all at the $5 tier if you want any any new bonus content again you know uh, subscribing to our Patreon is really like the best way to support us again at patreon.com slash manga mavericks uh, but if you want to follow all comic uh, just in general you can follow us on facebook.com slash all dot comic or on twitter.com slash all comic underscore but if you want to follow manga mavericks in particular you want to follow us on twitter at manga underscore mavericks or on tumblr at manga mavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast uh subscribe to our youtube channel at youtube.com slash manga mavericks where we post different excerpts of the podcast and whatnot as well as some exclusive content every once in a while again that's at youtube.com slash manga mavericks Email us anything at mangamavericks at gmail.com. Uh, you know, if you have any questions about any news we covered or, uh, you know, if you uh, have any licenses you're looking forward to, uh, what, what, are, what are some manga that you're reading and what are some manga that you want us to read on the show? Again, send us any send us any emails about manga or the podcast over to mangamavericks at gmail.com and we will read them on the show. We love getting emails from you guys. Uh, but the most important thing is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are sold or wherever you listen to podcasts and whatnot uh we're basically on all platforms at this point whatever you can think of yeah but uh ratings and reviews really help the visibility of our show really help us get out there to more listeners and yeah and we just appreciate them in general so uh please please leave us a rating and review if you so wish that uh that would really make our day but uh yeah that's gonna be about it for the podcast again we will see you guys next time to talk about the latest newest jump series so that'll be fun but until then this has been episode 121 of the manga mavericks podcast on all-comic.com we will see you guys next time for episode 122 bye guys sayonara Zach Burst G passed away on the week of May 19, 2020.
Zach was the Executive Editor-in-Chief at Anime News Network, overseeing its editorial department. He was the host of Inn Cast, the writer of Vice and Luna, and the original Answer Man. He was always, in my eyes, the face, voice, and heart of Anime News Network. Zach was passionate and uncompromising about art, poetic and punchy in his writing. He exuded personality not just in his effortless wit and precise thoughts, but in how personal his perspective always felt. Even his negative reviews of things I liked, I enjoyed for how clear and empathetic his worldview always stood. One of the first reviews of his I read was of the Boba Bowl standalone manga volume, where he summed up his negative experience with it by saying it felt like being savagely beaten by a clown. And really, isn't that just such a perfect diagnosis? Of that series, such a funny and accurate way of describing reading it. Even as a fan, I couldn't help but admire such a perfectly succinct summation of what that series is at its core. And that's one of the things I loved about Zack as a critic. He always tried to give every piece of art its fair shake and try to understand it the best he could. And he often would, whether he disliked the media or not, and whether I disliked his takes or not. More than his critical expertise, I think Zach's contributions to his industry are unquestionable. The anime industry as it is today wouldn't be what it is if Zach didn't work to help make A&N the resource it is, and help promote the industry through its tumultuous crash in the late 80s. More than his critical expertise, I think Zach's contributions to this industry are unquestionable. The anime industry as it is today wouldn't be what it is if Zack didn't work to make Anon the resource that it is and help promote the industry through its tumultuous crash in the late 2000s bubble and its rebirth in the past decade in the advent of streaming. So many of the features Zack pioneered in Anon and the style of its writing and reporting are regular fixtures that thousands of readers look forward to, and other anime sites adopted and emulated for themselves. In Encast remains an incredible resource, chronicling how the anime industry changed in real time through the course of a decade, and providing countless insightful interviews with legendary veterans of the industry, some of which, like Carl Masick, are also no longer with us. Zack's impact on the industry, the love he inspired in encouraging people, can be felt across any Twitter in the wake of his death. So many loving tributes were written on Twitter and voiced on the final A&N cast organized by Justin Savakis. I never got to meet Zack, but I learned a lot from A&N cast and got hours of entertainment from it. I never got to meet Zack, but I was inspired to be a better writer and critic and hold the art I love dear close to my heart. I never got to meet Zach, but his work inspired me to try and put my voice out there, so my own writing in this very podcast. I never got to meet Zach, but I wish I had so I could thank him. Thank him for all the hard work that he's done, and the ways that he influenced my life, which, until recently, I may have taken for granted. Part of the reason this podcast came out so late is because I wanted to comb through old A&N cast and make a tribute to Zack. I tried, but progress is going slow because it's, it's just hard to revisit them right now. 
It feels surreal and uncomfortable to listen to his voice archived in those past recordings, knowing that his voice has been silenced in the present and will not be heard in the future. I still hope to make some sort of tribute to Zach. I only knew him as a fan. I never truly knew the real him. But I want to pay my respects to someone whose work meant a lot to me in whatever way I can, and I hope I can do that someday. I wish I could have done that while he was still alive. Zach's passing made me realize that it's important to celebrate and embrace the people you love every day, every moment. Letting them know how much you care and how much they mean to you. And also to reach out when someone is feeling alone and in need. Zach struggled with his own demons of self-hatred and depression, which he chronicled on his personal blog. And as someone who has also had to fight that struggle every day of their life, reading Zach articulate and vent those feelings, persist and survive was validating and cathartic. But it's important to let people know they're not alone in the struggles they face, and that they have a community of people who will love and support them and have their backs through the hard times and through thick and thin. And that's my plea to any listener out there who's feeling alone and facing their own struggle right now. Remember that there is always someone who loves you, someone who is happy to have you in their life. Embrace them, hold them close to your heart. Let those thoughts warm you up and light a fire in the darkness. See everyone everything you have around you and never never let loneliness not out the light you bring into the world i'll be leaving links to many different people's tributes and memories of zach including the finally an incast as well as links to some of the work of his i really appreciated over the years including answer man and incast wise and luna his reviews of dead parade and keep your hands off azokin the last of which being just a series of love letters to a show that celebrated what a community of misfit artists can make when brought together. Reading those reviews, it's no surprise he considered it his new favorite anime by the time it ended, and I'm glad he was able to experience such a show and found a show like that and could use those reviews to articulate everything he loved about art and artists before he left us. There's so much more there is to say about Zach Bursty and the legacy he's left. But right now, there's only one thing that I think I can say, and I want to say, thank you, Zach. See you over the rainbow. Something that I'm supposed to be Someday we'll find it The rainbow connection The lovers, the dreamers